From the Southeast Asian capital city of the Philippine Islands, Manila, I bid you all good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the annual Ghost to Ghost program. No guests, just you all. It's your opportunity to tell what you consider to be a very, very scary, very real ghost story. Now, I've got a copy of uh, uh, Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary here, and I took a look at it uh, just for fun before uh, before airtime. And it says ghost. One, this is very, very interesting. Uh, Definition one is... The seat of life or intelligence. Check that out. The first definition, the seat of life or intelligence. Soul, if you will. Two, a disembodied soul. The soul of a dead person believed to be an inhabitant of the unseen world or to appear to the living in bodily likeness. Three. Spirit, demon, but it's one that I really like, one, the seat of life or intelligence. It comes from the big collegiate dictionary, really big one. So tonight is going to be your opportunity. If you know the numbers, you're welcome to you know, begin lining up now, but uh, I must warn you, we have, we have a tough screener. Tom Danheiser is screening tonight. He will want to hear a little bit of your story and know that it fits in, that it's going to be a good one. Spirit attacks, entity attacks. Oh, I love those. Ghost stories that have kind of a catch, a gotcha at the end of them. I love those, too. And, of course, I have received, as requested, some by email, for example, Art. My sister inherited... uh, My mother and my aunt's psychic abilities. My sister was asked to come to a house in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, a house that's over 100 years old, to smudge it. Now, I'm not familiar with the term smudge, but I guess I have an idea, a small idea. A family had recently uh, bought it, uh, and after they moved there, they began to experience strange activities. As my sister walked through the house, blessing it and smudging it as she went. She continued through the house into the dirt basement. When she walked into the basement area with four residents and her son, she suddenly threw up her arms and gasped. This stunned everybody. What she was experiencing was a long, skinny rifle in her face. She thought she was about to be shot. When she realized that, in fact, she was seeing a vision, she turned to her right, and there huddled together were two young Confederate soldiers with so much fear on their face that she started to pray for them, told them to go to the light. They'd been there for a long time. They'd be all right. She said the evil she felt was absolutely indescribable. Even though the residents told her there was some improvement after the smudging, they wanted her to, uh, to return for additional smudging. The impact of the evil presence and the fear of the young soldiers prevented her from returning uh, to this residence for any additional smudgings. In fact, she tears up to this day and cannot discuss the impact of the vision without crying. 
The owners of the house, of course, abandoned the house a few months later and moved back to their old neighborhood in Maryland. This, this I can assure you, is a true story. Or this. Art, a few weeks ago, my wife and I were driving about 100 miles to visit my family. While on the interstate, we came to a complete stop due to an accident up ahead. As we sat there, it became apparent that this was going to take quite a while, quite some time. So we turned around through the medium. Have you ever done that? Went back to the next exit and went around the wreck via country roads. Well, when we found the next on-ramp just past the wreck, we started to get on the interstate and continue our trip. As we slowed down to look at the wreck from the bridge, we all do that, don't we? I saw a lady walking up the off-ramp. That's up the off-ramp, folks. Our eyes met for a moment, and for some reason I got a very strange feeling from this lady. She just sort of stared right through me with the most bewildered and confused expression seen. Well, a few days later, I was reading the local paper, and I just about had a heart attack. Her picture was there in the obits as one of the people killed in that wreck. Funny thing is... Just after I saw her walking there, deep, deep down, somewhere inside of me, I already knew. But the unbelieving side of me simply dismissed it as fantasy. Guess not, huh? Uh, Or this art, longtime SWL, ham, and coast fan. That means shortwave listener. Thought about telling you about this one for some time, so here goes. Back in 1978, I... I was driving out in a secluded rural area sometime after midnight on a date with a young lady. We parked on a deserted country road, talking and enjoying each other's company. When we noticed all the dogs and coyotes in the area were howling like crazy, so much so that we were a bit spooked at this point. It was well past the time that she was supposed to be home. I started out of there, driving her on home, which was nearby, well out in the boonies. We approached her house from the long way round, as she didn't really want to go home yet. But I was anxious to get her home, lest we both get in hot water with her parents. Anyway, we were rolling slowly toward her house, and we approached an old church. It was about an eighth mile from her house. It was such an old church that it had a graveyard in the back of it, as it was practice years ago. Remember that? Anyway, my date suddenly said, look at that. I looked, and I saw what appeared to be a woman crossing on foot from the old church across the road in front of our path. So I slowed the car to a near stop, and the, in quotes, woman crossed the road, probably not more than 50 feet in front of the car. But in the headlights, I could see it was a woman in a nightgown and nightcap of the old style, but she was floating about two feet off the ground and had no legs. I could also see that her eyes were just dark holes, no eyes visible. She never looked at us, but just stared straight ahead. My my date was totally freaking out by now. I was so astounded, this part grabs me, that I stopped the car and popped the door open thinking I would jump out and get a closer look at this thing. But my date, having none of it, screamed at me to get us the hell out of there. The woman continued on across the road, passing right 
through rows of vines that grew parallel to the road. My girlfriend was just about hysterical at this point, made me promise to sit outside her house for a while, make sure nothing was around. That was the most fantastic thing I've ever seen. And believe me, Art, an absolutely true story. Now, I have many of these, and I'll kind of spread them around as we as we move through Halloween night. Now, listen, my... Uh, Ham cam photo is in the middle of the page, coast, uh, coast to coast am.com. It's kind of weird. Uh, it went up there, and, and the one I had put up there indeed went up there, and then I guess I got some other server, and I got an old picture. But I'm sure most of you are going to get the correct one. Now, many of you may have seen this before, but to me, it's a blow away. And it was years ago. I think I posted this some years ago. I've always thought it was one of the top three ghost photographs ever taken by anybody. This particular one, obviously the uh, the target of the photograph was a young lady. And that's one, one thing I always look for. You know, it's, it's not like people are just randomly taking pictures and happen to catch ghosts. Um, you know, something like that might be faked. This was not a random photograph. It was a little girl. Somebody had taken a picture of a little girl, but, oh, my God. In the foreground... In front of this young lady, there is this form of a being. Well, it's somewhat translucent, but uh, it's it's pretty awful. I mean, you can see you can see sort of arms, you can see a head, you can see a body, you can see legs, and you can see some kind of tail. And it's you know somewhat translucent. It's really pretty freaky. So that's my little offering for the night. may have seen this one before, but it's definitely, oh, definitely one of the better ones. All right. So again, tonight will be nothing but all of you. Now, again, we've got a tough screener. So what I want are tough, scary, well-told, gotcha kind of ghost stories. Now, I, I don't rule out, as I mentioned, uh, Entity attacks. There's something very, very frightening about being grabbed by something or touched by something or in some way manipulated physically by something. Actually, it's completely awful. Now, for the occasion, though outside the Philippine sunshine uh, is bright and clear today and the weather good, I have darkened down my little cubicle, my little area where I do this program, to give me the feel, uh, the exact feel that I want for Halloween, which is what I've got right now. So in a moment, we're going to turn to all of you and we're going to begin sampling what is in the night across North America. Stay right where you are. Uh, Rob in Cedar Rapids, uh, Iowa, says, Since when does Art Bell use call screeners? Harumph. <laughs> well, Rob, always in Halloween. And uh, frankly, since I've been over here in Southeast Asia, it's been uh, been an easier way to go. 
And, uh, and, and particularly on Halloween, when I want to make sure I get the very best of what's to be told out there. You see, I guess until you've experienced the reality of ghosts, you're, uh, you're fully entitled to go rumpf or anything else you want to do, or I don't believe, and I don't blame you. But once you've experienced something, well, then it's never as easy again. You can't join the skeptics. You can't join the doubters because you have seen yourself. So the very best you can do is sort of perhaps avoid the conversation or even the subject so that you don't have to talk about what you've seen. All right, let us begin. Uh, let's go to the wild card line and say hello, Jack, in Miami, Florida. You are on the air. At a Halloween party last year at a frat house on a college campus, uh, it was very Wicca and occult uh, oriented. The party, uh-huh. uh, I I was only there because of a girl. I wasn't interested in any of that at the time. Uh, something that happened there did pique my interest in it. Um, basically, I was just downstairs, and someone came to the top of the stairs and asked if there was a Jack here, and I was like, "That's my name." Right. The guy said, would you come upstairs real quick because the board keeps asking for me or asking for you. The board? What, yeah, they said the board. And I didn't even know what they meant by it, but I wasn't really having any fun at all. I oh, like we're I, talking Ouija here. We're talking Ouija board. <laughs> uh, you know, so I just I went upstairs. And when I got upstairs, I walked in the room, and the people, the three people around it, uh, were reading it, and they just said, it said, I'm okay. And I asked them, I'm like, what's okay? Was it talking to me? But, you know, I was just asking questions. I was like, what is that thing? Is, what's okay? They said they didn't know. And the one guy who did seem to know what was going on uh, concerning all that said that the spirit that was talking then uh, was different than the one that was asking for me, but that before it was very insistent to them that it spoke to Jack and no one knew who I was because I wasn't in that group. I was just there because of a girl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, and this is why it's kind of hard for me to tell a story, but the next day I got a call from my mom and it turned out that my dad passed away the night before at around the same time that I was at the party. Oh, um, Jack, there is something to this. And, um, I'm going to tell you, buddy, there's a kind of a window. Uh, Some ghosts perhaps can continue to haunt for years or be around for years, but there is, after somebody passes, a short window of hours, days, uh, maybe as long as three weeks, according to some religions, when spirits can very easily make contact, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, that's what I mean. And so that, that was your dad. Yeah, it got me into this show when I started researching it, so that's a good thing, too. (laughs) <laughs> did it, um, I'm curious, did it comfort you, Jack? Um, well, it confused me, really. I had I had to really wonder, you know, if that was him. Doing a little more research, I, I, I think it was him. It, it did. Uh, now, now that I know that he just, you know, he did want me to know that he was okay, even though at the time I had no idea what or who it was. Oh, boy, I, you know, in, in retrospect, uh, what an opportunity to ask about the nature of the other side, uh, if only, you know, the same spirit had been there. But maybe that's something we are just not to know, Jack, until we get there ourselves. Possibly. Take care, buddy, and thank you. Yeah. Bye. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I want. Ouija boards. <laughs> A number of years ago, uh, somebody, and I will, I'm not going to finish this story, so don't, uh, uh, don't uh, hound me to do it. But somebody sent me uh, what had to be an, truly an ancient Ouija board. Really ancient. I mean, this thing looked like, you know, like it had been around since the 1800s or something. There was no explanation with it. There was no, no little letter with it or, hey, Art, I thought you'd like to have A number of you may recall, um, I think we had a, a quick interrupt there. A number of you may recall that I had this Ouija board and uh, something truly awful occurred. And I mean something truly awful occurred, something so awful that I will not talk about it here on the air. Suffice to say that the Ouija board was dealt with by Ramona and myself in a manner that she understood much better than I did. But my God, that scared me. I mean, it really scared me, folks. And I don't, I don't scare that easily, but that, that incident, what, what happened with that doggone Ouija board? Uh, it was really frightening. West of the Rockies, uh, you're on the air, Ghost to Ghost AM 2006. Ah, thank you, Art. Okay, uh, the screener liked to call mine a, a toy from the other side. A toy? A toy from the other side. That's what he said, a toy okay. from the other side. I'll call it that. But what happened was I've been around spirits, ghosts, all my life since I was two. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. One that always came around that I could never see or never saw would always, I'd go to, I'd go to sleep and a strong burning smell would fill the room. And it wasn't, it was the type like out in a forest burning trees or burning wood. And it would wake me up and of course I'd flash to some place and, and see if everything was safe. Uh, and then one night, one night, because uh, one night it happened, and it all happened so fast that apparently my spirit was out of my body while I was asleep and doing what they're doing. But I woke up so fast, and I thought fire, and I flashed my from my bed, and I didn't kill myself or anything, and I crashed right into him. Oh my God. Right into him. He was on the corner of my bed, on the corner of my bed, and I flashed, and we, we collided into each other. And because I had just woken up and in a, a real tranquil state, I could tell his features, his eyes, and a mouth. You could just see, because it is energy, just open wide. And I scared the heck out of him, and I scared, of, and of course, I was just really, I don't know what, but in the moments that quickly happened, he came back up, and I was still trying to come back or get awake or whatever, and he, and I knew mental telepathy-wise, he showed me a toy. He had a toy. He was saying to me, this is my toy. Because we had this meeting, and and I looked at it, and I'm an artist, and I can describe what I saw. I can describe what I saw, 
and afterwards you can ask me what I saw, this toy from the other side. But I was so irritated I had to get to this fire. So I just said, get out of my way. I ran to the kitchen, but I realized my spirit wasn't in my body, and I couldn't catch up with myself. I, I, I went forward, and I fell into the kitchen. Diane? Yeah. Hold the story okay. right there. We've got to take a break here at the bottom of the hour. This is Ghost to Ghost AM. Ghost to Ghost AM, indeed. A special liner from uh, Ross Mitchell, the voice from down under. <laughs> good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it may be, wherever you are across most of the Americas. It's, of course, Halloween. In fact, of course, across all of the Americas. I suppose not the Eastern time zones. It may have clicked over. But what we're doing all night long is nothing but stories from all of you. Nothing but the very best. If you have a very excellent ghost story, I mean, grab you by the the short the shorts and just tug, you know, that kind of ghost story, then we want to hear from you. Those are the numbers. Now, there is going to be one additional way that you can get your story on the air because we realize the uh, phone lines are jammed. So, if you have something totally beyond excellent, a Tom Danheiser, uh, the screener for this night, and a very tough screener he is, uh, would be happy to peruse the Fast Blasts. And what you can do is uh, is go to Fast Blast and uh, just put a little tiny nugget and say, Tom, this one is really, really good, and then supply your telephone number. And if Tom has time, he will indeed call you. So, in other words, calling in is not your only possible avenue to getting in. Since we're so jammed on the lines, uh, we'll add Fast Blast. Just put a little tiny nugget of information trying to tempt Tom into calling you about, you know, something about how good your ghost story is. And then put your area code and phone number there. And uh, if you're lucky, if Tom is tempted, he will call you. Uh, your phone will ring. And before you know it, you will be on the air. This is Ghost to Ghost AM. The Philippines are absolutely cell phone crazy. I mean, they are cell phone crazy. Uh, we've got a young lady telling us about a toy. Well, I got a, I just got a new toy. It's a P990i, a Sony, new Sony uh, cell phone. It's really cool. It, it allows you to do video calls back and forth. Oh, my God, it's cool. Also, Wi-Fi connections to the Internet. You can send email. It's kind of a, it's a smartphone combo, PDA phone, and it just is everything you can possibly imagine. And then more. I'm still learning about it days later. So that's my t a new toy. Back now to Diane's toy. Diane? Okay, so I flee from him after I don't get out of my way. And and I was going towards the kitchen, and it was it was if I was trying to get there with no legs, and I could feel behind me something trying to get in me, trying, you know, trying to get, get in me, 
and I uh, fell to my knees in my kitchen, and then I felt entered, and I entered, and I just felt it was my spirit, and, and all this had happened with my spirit out of my body and the conscious, and now I realize some things about this whole thing, um, what happens when we are asleep. So I was able to pick myself up off the floor and go back into the room. And, of course, the smell and everything, as usual, is, is totally gone. But the toy, okay, I told you I'm, I'm an artist. So what the toy looked like, uh, he held it from behind. I could tell he was, he was maneuvering it from behind for me and holding it up in front of me. I can best just say in Star Wars, the very first Star Wars, not the little robot, but the companion of the little robot, uh, yes. E2, or what was his name? Well, it was R2-D2. That was a little one. And then uh, 3-CPO, I believe. Yeah, it was the taller one. That's okay, right. this is what it looked like, but I don't know what it's called when scientists work with their calculus and you see all these lines uh, crossed and all that stuff. Well, he was entirely the toy, what looked like that figure, but was of all these lines, uh, dimensions and everything crossed. That's weird. I, I, have, I have two questions for you. Um, you said that uh, you woke up in a start and really quickly. You know, maybe these entities, uh, Diane, depend on the fact that you're sort of in sleep and sort of coming out slowly of sleep, and so they can normally quickly, easily get away before you're awake enough to know what was even there. Absolutely. That's comment one. Comment two, you said some good, some bad. Now, when you say good and bad, do you mean angelic versus evil? Yes, because I have my picture of one that was taken that was over me, and she's beautiful. She's just a beautiful, beautiful it's in color. Of, uh, she's leaning right down over my. Well, head. there you have it. Then some. Some. Thank you very much, Diane. Some, as you might imagine, as in life, as in death, there is. Uh, there's always an opposite. I guess you cannot. You cannot define good. You cannot know good unless there is bad. Unless there is evil. Right. It has to be there. Perhaps even on the other side. Certainly the stories would seem to, uh, to verify that. Again, if you have a really good ghost story, don't be afraid to put a little tempting sentence about it uh, on Fast Blast along with your area code and phone number. And who knows, Mean Tom may call you. Wildcard Line, you are on Ghost to Ghost AM. Hi, Art. This is Rose Hi. of Durango. Hello, Rose. About 20 years ago... When I was in college, I rented a room in an old, hundred-year-old house. It's called the Gable House. Now, this house was an old, dusty brick color, a dark red, a dusty color, with a black roof. And it was called the Gable House because it had these turrets and uh, large gables and balconies, that sort of a thing. It was built in the late 1800s by a rich man. It later turned into the first hospital. Durango ever had. I lived so, in a home just like it, huh? Have you? Yeah, yeah, in Maryland, right on the Maryland-Pennsylvania border, very, very old house with 32 rooms. <laughs> wow. And it was, uh, it was a house that uh, had secret passages in it. It was used, uh, you know, as part of the, um, 
of the slaves, you know, to get slaves from the south to the north. Oh, it that would be per- fascinating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, this house uh, had fallen into disrepair, and then in the 70s, a couple had bought it and refurbished it. They did the whole bottom part for themselves, but they kept the old operating table, and it came down from the ceiling on pulleys, and it was their living room conversation piece. (laughs) Well, (laughs) of course you move in, and all of the other college students are more than willing to tell you what your room was used for. Yes, I'm sure. I was up on the third floor in the very back room, and they said, oh, I wouldn't want to be in that room. And I said, why? Because that's where they kept the mental patients. It was farthest from the front door. Mm. So I had, uh, I've lived on Indian reservations a lot, and I had friends, and I asked them what to do. And they said, to protect the room, you do this, and they gave me a feather and everything. But they forgot to tell me to cleanse the room. Uh-huh. So one night, I was laying in bed, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and over to the right of me were these three, you could call them shadow people, but I could tell that they were trapped within a small circle, and they couldn't get out, and I knew they couldn't harm me, but they just bothered me. Being well, I, I should say, yeah. Yeah. One was a short, fat sort of woman. Another was a medium-sized, thin woman. And the third was a dark, thin man. And Did they, they have just... substance, or were they sort of translucent? No, they were uh, solid black. But I didn't get the impression that they were souls. I got the impression that they had been created as entities by the despair and sorrow that went on in the hospital. Have you ever heard of uh, people creating an entity? Um, yes, of course. The uh, the monster from the id. Um, yes, of course. Yes. And they didn't really seem to know I was there, but they were just so depressing. And uh, so this all happened rather quickly. Next, I noticed that up at ceiling level to my left were three white entities. These three were men. One kind of reminded me of uh, an old Greek scholar, uh, uh, Aristotle, Sophocles, or something like that. Sort of a Sean Connery for people who don't have the picture in their mind. <laughs> and he was, he, was in, he was the one who was in charge. He was sort of the mentor of these other two. The other one seemed to be a short, fat, medieval merchant type. <laughs> And the other one was just uh, a non-time descript. He was just a young man, young athletic man. And the older fellow was sitting there. They were, they were, here I was with these entities, and they're saying, well, now, in these situations, the uh, protocol is to do blah, blah, blah. Uh, they were discussing it this way. And then suddenly, the young athletic spirit and they were just they were just white light, but I got the impression of what they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did have arms and legs, white light with arms, legs, head. Mm. It dropped down on my left side, put its arm around me, and you know, it, it, white light may be good, but I still don't want anything laying down next to me and putting its arm around me. No. So 
I, I said, what are you doing? And the young man said, I'm here to protect you. I fell asleep instantly and slept till morning. Well, maybe perhaps, again, the yin and the yang, the, the good versus the evil. Yes, maybe they had, were protecting you from the darker entities. Yes, that I had not cleared out. So people should clear before they protect. All right. All right. Thank you very, very much for the story, Rose. Thank you. And uh, you take care, yes. The good and the bad. The good and the evil. They do seem to come together, don't they? I guess they're here. And they're, well, on the other side as well. Let's go all the way to uh, Nebraska and say, James, you're on the air, Ghost to Ghost AM. Uh, how are you, Art? I'm very well, uh, sir. Uh, yeah, the story I was telling Tom was about when I was uh, probably about uh, probably about nine or ten years old. I lived in a house that was an old, I would say, it, from what I was told when I was younger, it was an Army recovery hospital. Uh-huh. And my brothers remember seeing when they were younger, down in the basement, people all bandaged up, uh, you know, reaching out to him as if to say, you know, help me. Yes. And one of the other things is that when I was when I was also younger, we lived. Uh, the house unfortunately is no longer there. I would have loved gone through it nowadays uh, to see what we we could get. I always remembered having a feeling of being watched from. We were, like, in the center room, and then there was a room off to uh, the right of us, off to the east, that also contained our bathroom. But I always felt like something was looking at me from the darkness. Something probably was. Uh, something probably uh, you know, was. You, you, know, you, know, you know, even when we do the EVPs, you'll notice that uh, the electronic voice phenomena, they go to prisons they go to hospitals. They go to yeah. place, uh, places where there were suicides. They go to graveyards. They go to, but but uh, especially hospitals, mental wards, that sort of place. Any place where it seems like there was a great deal of suffering, something lingers. Exactly. And th- what I was telling Tom was when I one Saturday morning, when me and my younger brother were watching uh, Saturday morning cartoons, of course, I just glanced into the kitchen and the way that our home is, was set up at the time is that we were in the living room, then the dining room, and there was a basically a doorway into the kitchen. Now, right across, literally parallel with this doorway was a window to the outside. And the sun had just come up and I seen a woman in nurse's garb crossed in front of this window. Now, the only reason I seen her is because she blocked out the light. And I went in there, and there was nobody there. Nobody. So whatever it was had substance, or it could not have blocked oh, yeah. the light. I mean, this, this had to have some type of substance. And it just, it, it, it to talk about it now, it just kind of creeps me out. It's like, <laughs> sends a shiver up my spine. But I, I truly believe that not only was that house somewhat haunted, but my family, every house that I've lived in has some type of activity in it. Including the do, one you, I'm do you think now. it's do you think it's you that's bringing the activity? You know, to be honest, every house that I have lived in has some type of activity. Even when I'm not there, I just everybody said that there's some strange things that go on there. Uh, one Halloween, actually, this is kind of a funny story. Um, my brother's uh, mother-in-law was staying with us, and she had a little uh, trinket on, or not a trinket, but a little squeeze toy 
on her keychain. And this thing, when you squeezed it, it said, I love, I love chocolate, those little chocolate mousse. One Halloween night, that thing went off by itself. I had no clue what it would do. I was like, whoa, you know, it was like right across the room from me. I go over and I squeeze it, and it said, you know, it says it's lying. I turn around, Art, and I walk back to the chair, and just as I sat down, that thing went off again. And I, I you know, I'm a big guy, but that made me scream. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> All um, right, James. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I was I was almost ready to imagine that it was going to say something other than I like chocolate. Perhaps something like "Get the hell out." <laughs> I don't know. The one thing you can't deny, as you listen to all of these stories, and they will line up throughout the night, is that th- these they're real. These things are real. It's one of the great, this and EVP are the things that uh, give me almost, I would say, an absolute faith that there is uh, an existence of some sort uh, after death. Now, some of what you're hearing is not exactly comforting regarding the nature of life after death, but, um, well, there's an interesting question for a lot of you. Uh, given what you've heard tonight and what you will be hearing through the night and what you've heard with EVP, if that indeed is the existence you can expect after you die, would you prefer the great nothingness or would you prefer, well, what you've heard? East of the Rockies in Colorado somewhere, John. Hi, Art. It's an honor yes. and pleasure to speak with you, sir. And with you. I just can't believe I even got through tonight. It's amazing. Um, and my birthday's in two days, so this must be an early birthday present. Happy All birthday. Saints Day. I'm, uh, actually, tomorrow's All Saints Day, and then All Souls Day is the day after, mm-hmm. if you're aware of that. Um, but well, I want to tell you a ghost story, of course, one appropriate thing to do. Please. Um, when I was about 12 years old, I went up to uh, Mackinac Island, which is a part of Michigan. Oh, I know it well. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I had a great aunt and uncle that had a place up there. They had a place there and in Florida. And, you know, they offered us, you know, hey, it's a nice place to stay. Would you like to come up and stay there? And, and my family, my, it was my sister, my mother, and my dad, we all said, sure, we'd like to come up. And uh, so we went up there one summer, um, not knowing anything about the house or anything, of course. But we went up there and... As soon as I walked in the house, I felt something weird. But, you know, you're thinking, well, no one's going to believe me or they'll think I'm crazy if I say there's something in this house. But I've always kind of had a sense of that, you know. And uh, I've lived in old houses most of my life, so I've been around that stuff. Um, One thing that would happen when you be walking up the stairway You'd find yourself, it's kind of like if you're in a crowd. You, you step around people because you can feel they're there, but you don't always see them. Yes. You, know, you have the sense that someone's standing there. Um, you would find yourself stepping around people. Um, and then kind of look and say, well, well, how come I can't see anybody? You know, it's the sense you had, I can feel someone there, but they're not, I don't see anyone there. Um, but, you know, um, that happened, and then... I was watching TV in the, another room, and I felt someone sit down on the couch right next to me to the point where I looked over to see, you know... Who it was. 
cushion and the couch went down. If someone sat next to you, you'd feel that, right? Of or you'd course. see that. Yeah. Um, the cushion didn't go down, but I can tell you, someone sat down next to me watching TV. And so, you know, and, and plus, you never felt alone in the house. Someone earlier said they felt there, there were eyes glaring at them. That's exactly how it was. You never were alone in that house. Um, you'd be in the bathroom, and there was eyes glaring at you. It's a part of a sense uh, mm-hmm. that we have. I think uh, animals, of course, have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that, uh, that we have it as well. It's um, a very old ability. Many of us uh, in the modern world have kind of blocked it out. But, if there, it, you know, it's, it's a, a danger sense. You understand if somebody's near you, if somebody's stalking you, if somebody's got a rifle aimed at you, you know if somebody's in the room with you. This is Ghost to Ghost AM. In addition to the aforementioned numbers, you can also go to Fast Blast on the coasttocoastam.com website. Uh, send something very tempting. I mean, we only want the very best, very scariest ghost stories. The very scariest ghost stories. And so if you've got one that qualifies as 10 out of a 10, then go to Fast Blast and put your phone number, area code number, there, and uh, perhaps Tom will call you. And so we'll collect stories not only through those who dial, but perhaps some of them, well, you just never know. Your phone may ring, and uh, it may be Tom. And that means you'll be on the air. So we'll collect, uh, we'll collect in both ways. In a moment, I've got uh, yet another uh, story that I, I really like sent to me. The following is from Debbie. She says, my story is not the usual spook story. I wanted to share my feelings about ghosts. Six years ago, I was in recovery from a bad accident. I began to hear noises on my ceiling at night. I told everyone about the noises, but they doubted I was hearing anything. The noises went on for several months. Every night, I'd be woken up by the noises coming from the ceiling in my bedroom. My soul seemed to be telling me I was hearing something. I just couldn't find anyone to believe me. I began to doubt my own sanity. Just when I thought I was crazy, a ghost began visiting me every evening. I could not tell anyone because they thought the stress of the accident caused me to imagine things. Visiting ghost arrived with a bump in the night. This began the signal that my ghost was arriving. Fear gripped me. I'd hang on to the Bible in terror. Over the next few months, I realized whatever I was seeing was not going to harm me. My fear started to disappear. I accepted the ghost for what it was. My journey of insomnia began. I'd go to bed, same time every night, lie awake for the bump in the night to come, watch the ghost come through the window and float around the room. When the noise came from the ceiling... When that started, the ghost would cry softly and go through the ceiling. This would go on for a few hours every night till dawn. I decided if I was crazy, then so be it. In desperation, I sought an answer. My answer came to me one evening. I decided to set up a video camera in the attic and have the feed come through to the TV in my bedroom. 
I'm the most fortunate woman in the world as I have people that love me. I asked my son to help me do this. He doubted me but agreed to help set up the video because I could see he loved me and wanted to help help me resolve whatever I was hearing. The first night came with the video in place in the attic. The ghost arrived crying and weeping, floating all around the room. When the noise started, I jumped up and switched the video camera and TV on. Within minutes, I saw large roof cats... Rats, rather. I saw a very large roof rats. Gosh, why did I say cats? Running everywhere in the attic. I sat on the floor crying, knowing that I was hearing something very real. I felt the ghost touch me as a brush as as dawn came. The first night, I forgot to push the record button. Next evening came. I was like a little girl with a deep secret, and I could not tell anyone till I had solid evidence the next evening. I did push the record button. I called everyone to come and see my video of the roof rats. Next, I phoned an extermination company. The first two companies I hired after visiting the attic left, refusing to do the job. Well, I did finally find a company to come clean the attic and fix the hole in the roof. When they were cleaning the attic, they found the bones of a woman. I knew this was the ghost visiting me. I knew this because after the discovery, I didn't see the ghost again. Twenty years ago, her children, this woman's children, thought she had run away with someone else. It just wasn't true. Her husband had murdered her and put her in the attic. Her husband had died years before. Her children were amazed to find out what really had happened all those years ago. The exterminator company that cleaned up the attic told me later they had felt a presence with them in the attic, but they decided it was not bad, so they kept on with their job. They knew my story and wanted to help. When I purchased the house from the previous owners, they had left me a bundle of sage to burn before I moved in. Though they wouldn't admit it, I believe the ghost had visited them, but they chose to move. It took me two years to recover from the stress of hearing and doubting myself. In the end, I'm much stronger for the experience. I decided to learn to remote view because I needed some tool to help me. I'm sending you this story because not all ghosts are mean and nasty. I believe that ghosts put the hole in my roof so the rats would get in and the attic would be investigated. All the best, Debbie. I thought that was a good one. So in that case, obviously, the woman wanted her uh, remains to be found. And while it seemed rather conventional with the rats, can you imagine the shock? Can you imagine the shock when you find bones? My God. All right, let's uh, go to San Diego and a wild card line, and I think Derek. Hello, Derek, you're on the air. Hi, Art. How are you this evening? Very well, indeed. Good. My story happened in 1971. My stepfather, who was in the Navy at the time, was transferred from Los Angeles here to San Diego. Mm -hmm. And what we had to do was rent a house out in one of the surrounding suburbs. We ended up finally getting naval housing. took about two and a half years. We moved in. And one evening, while everyone was gone, I saw a very bright green light emanating from underneath my covers. I opened my covers, and I saw 
a fully clothed skeleton. Oh. It had a very, very evil grin. And I was just petrified. In fact, I couldn't move. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what is this? Well, the next morning, when my mother and father did come back, I told them about the story of the skeleton that I had seen in front of me. And, of course, my father, stepfather, if you will, hogwashed the whole story. So, upon further investigation, we found out that the family had to move out of that particular home. I take it when you showed, when you tried to show this fully clothed skeleton to somebody else, it was not there. Correct. It only showed in front of me, I was 11 at the time, Uh 1974. So, the next morning I did tell my, my parents and... Of course, upon further investigation, we found out that the family had to move because the father had passed away. And when you're in the Navy, of course, if you have no naval dependents, they have to move. That's right. In this case, we had found out that the man who resided there in the family, the man had passed away in a hunting accident. Actually, he was coming home from hunting. His car went over a cliff. And the clothing that I had seen on the skeleton, if you will, it had a cap, a hunting cap, if you will. It had like a flak jacket. And it was completely green. It was completely luminescent. It lit up the whole room. And I had no lights on in the room, so I was just absolutely petrified. No, I'm sure you were. No chance uh, you were sleeping. No chance this was a dream. None. None whatsoever. It was very vivid, very, very much awake is what I was. And so what, what absolutely frightened me is that I could tell in my father there was a change, an attitude change for the worst, if you will. And uh, he became a monster, um, absolutely hard to live with. And ultimately, they did divorce. But this was a man who was happy-go-lucky before the fact. And I thought, this has to connect somehow, some way. Uh-huh. The person that I saw, the skeleton or apparition, was very evil. It had a sardonic grin on it. And I, I really don't know, but I think that had something to do with his attitude change. Perhaps um, whatever it was began to inhabit your father. I believe so. I believe so. From happy-go-lucky... You know, a man who used humor in every regard to suddenly not being very happy. In fact, one day he put me up on the wall and asked me who I loved more, my mother or him. And, of course, I said both. And this from a man who wouldn't harm a fly. Oh, my God. Oh, I knew something. And and so then the parents divorced. And uh, have you ever heard from your father again? How has it turned out for him? Well, since I've heard he has passed away, and I don't know how long ago, but I just know that there was an absolute attitudinal change in him. I was Got very it. shocked, Got as it. my mother was and my uh, my siblings. Well, I'm glad it wasn't you, buddy. <laughs> I'm very happy about that. Well, my mother had passed away two years ago to the day, and um, she's visited me quite often and said hi, and, you know, it, it's a pleasure Absolutely, to have her around and other good spirits as well. And 
I thank you for having the show. It gives a good platform for folks to talk out these things. It does, and I and and I know that um, those who don't believe in this kind of thing, or just uh, some people, get angry when they hear this sort of thing. It's a way of uh, dealing with what they hear. Oh, what baloney they say! What hogwash, or much worse. That's just a way of dealing with it. I understand that, but I believe every word that man just said. And I think that probably what happened is whatever had been in that fully clothed skeleton then inhabited his his father. What an awful way to go. To lose your personality, to lose yourself to some some spirit with unfinished business. No thank you. Moving to the uh, first-time caller line, it's Bruce in Glendale. Hi. Hey, Art. How are you? Fine. Good, good. Got a very interesting story here. It's a three-part story. It's one story, but it has three different parts. Um, All right. My wife and I married in 1985. We were both in our 20s. And we made a promise to each other that if uh, one of us should go before the other, we would make every effort, if possible, to contact the uh, survivor. Well, unfortunately, my wife was killed in a motorcycle accident in 2003. Sorry. And thank you. And um, about a month afterwards, I was in my jacuzzi on the patio, dark night, uh, had all the lights off in the patio, all the lights off in the house. Once I finished with the jacuzzi, I got out, put a towel around me. The kitchen door was maybe, you know, 20 feet from the jacuzzi. No, not even that, eight, eight or 10 feet from the jacuzzi. As I got out, something caught my peripheral vision, really startled me. I turned around very abruptly, as it was like I saw something there. Well, there was nothing. As I walked towards the porch, stepped up on the porch, I opened the door to put my hand in and turn the uh, kitchen light on to go in. And I jokingly said under my breath, I said, Tina, is that you? Turned the light on, immediately all three of the light bulbs flashed and blew out. They didn't Mm. explode, but they all flashed at the same time, like when a light bulb blows out. Sure. So that really startled me. Okay, Naturally, a... three at once, no way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then within a month, and I have photos of this. I took a series of about five or six photos. I went to the graveyard to visit to put gray, uh, flowers on the grave. She had wore an electric blue dress back in the 80s, which was my favorite dress. And when I was in the graveyard, there was this magnificent bluebird, a type I've never seen before with this electric blue color, it would not leave my car alone. It kept trying and trying to get into my car. It bounced from mirror to mirror to roof to windshield, kept trying and trying. And fortunately, I had my camera with me because I came to take pictures of the headstone. So mm-hmm. I captured all this on film or on you know, digital photography. And it, it's just an amazing picture. And I still have a picture of her wearing the dress. And you can see that the bird and the, uh, uh, her dress were the same color. And it was right next to her grave. Oh, there's something about birds, sir. Well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And n- never never seen this bird again at the gravesite. But there are birds are always a harbinger, a harbinger of something. Um, they sure are. And then the final part of the story is about six months after this, I was asleep, 4 a.m., sound sleep. Woke immediately, just shockingly out of a, of a fitful sleep, Right at the very moment of waking, uh, it's kind of hard to say when the events took place. I woke first, I didn't, you know, it all kind of happened at once. But she, clearly a vision of her, when she died, she was 46. This, she looked to be about as she was when she was 30. Beautiful flowing blonde hair, almost translucent, 
came out of my walk-in closet towards me, simply said, there is an afterlife, I'm okay, turned and vanished back into the closet. Wow. I was just shocked. I had, as I say, woken out of a sound sleep, heart was racing. I know I saw this. It was not, you know, some, I'm a completely sane businessman, but I had this trilogy of three things happen, and they were all indications that she was okay and that she kept her promise that she would contact me if there was a way that this could be done. And ever since that last time, nothing. That was the last one, the third one, when she you know, came during the night. Seems like once that message is through, uh, that's what the loved ones seem to want to get through. And once that message is through, it ends. Um, that's amazing. And I'm sure you, you know, after you got over the fright of it, I'm sure you felt so much better. Oh, I do, because I'm convinced. I know that I'll see her again. It's, it's almost like I have a relationship with her now, like she's by my side. I've got a very nice, significant woman in my life now, but I always have a little piece of her still with me. But that final you know, assurance that she was okay made me feel much, much better. And obviously you you and I kind of share a certain bond because of both of us losing our wives at a we untimely do. time. So you understand what I'm what I'm talking about, I'm sure. Bruce, thank you. Thank you very much, Art. Take care. Uh, my wife, uh, of course, was 47 uh, when she passed away. And uh, it was the second experience that I'd had with a bird, and uh, I think I, you, you all know about my dad and the first one with the, uh, the little bat. The second experience occurred just before we left uh, on our trip, uh, the RV trip, and damn, it was unnerving because I knew, I knew something was going to happen. Well, I, I can't, no, you know, I'll back away from that. I didn't really know something was, I suspected something was going to happen. This bird, we were out on our porch a day before the trip, and this bird, just nothing but a sparrow or a common bird that we had in the desert, uh, actually not only flew on the porch, but flew right in my face. I mean, the wings of this bird were flapping on my cheek. It was really freaky, and I, I said, hunt wow, did you see, she said, yeah, I saw, and it just, it came right up to my face, and sort of hovered and flapped, and I could actually feel, not just the breeze, but I could feel wings touching my face, and that doesn't just happen, that means something, so I, I guess I have become convinced that birds are uh, harbingers of something, or maybe if you think they're harbingers, they, they become so, I really, I'm not sure about it. I just know that for me, a bird uh, doing something really odd like that, it has meaning. Definitely has meaning. Let's see if we have time. Uh, barely, so we'll probably have to hold over Jack from Denver. Welcome, Jack. Uh, hi there. Um, I am calling uh, to tell you a story about something that happened to me when I was about 13 uh, years old. Um, my mother and uh, her three sisters grew up on an old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere in the Nebraska Panhandle. And, uh, well, I won't say middle of nowhere, but it's out there. And, uh, and she grew up there, and, and they built a room onto the house when they moved in. It was on the second floor. And this was the house that one of my aunts stayed in, and she's a big fan of your show, too, so she's listening. Hi, Gay. But um, anyway, I was talking to her one time. Uh, because that was the room, you know, that was Grandma and Grandpa's house when I was growing up, and that was always the room that I stayed in when I was there. And um, 
so I was talking to her one time, and she says to me, have you ever noticed anything like creepy or weird going on in the house, you know, especially in that room? Do you ever feel anything strange? And, and I had kind of had a foreboding sense in the room, but nothing more than that. And so I said, yeah, you know, I felt weird in there before. And she started to tell me some of the craziest stories of things that had happened to her while she was growing up in that room. And one of the ones I, I remember uh, most vividly, just briefly, was um, she got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or something and left the room. And when she came back, lights off, door is wide open. But no matter how hard she tried to enter the room, she couldn't. It was like there was a wall in the doorway, and, and, and she oh, couldn't get in. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah, and so the next time I'm there, I am terrified, of course. You know, I'm 13 years old, and I felt spooked in there before, and now I have all these freaky stories running through my head at 11 o'clock at night or, you know, 12.30, and, and, and everybody else is in bed, and uh, all the lights are off and everything, and I'm just laying there desperately trying to get to sleep. And I'm laying in the bed, and the bed is facing the closets, and the closets are those kind of accordion-style closets on tracks that they kind of roll open, and they make the rolling noise on the tracks. All right, Jack, hold your story right at that point. This is Ghost to Ghost AM. For those who have never experienced it, these are just stories. For those who have had the experience, as you're hearing tonight, nothing will talk them out of it, ever, because they know. I know. Good morning, everybody. It's called Ghost Ghost AM. Your ghost stories only all night long. Two ways to get in. One, the aforementioned telephone numbers. The other, if you've got a really good story, and I mean a really scary good story, then go to the website, send a fast blast, include a little bit about the story, enough to tempt us, and then your area code and phone number, and perhaps we'll call you. So here's Jack approaching this uh, this room. Uh, Jack? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I'm actually laying in the bed, and uh, the the lights are off. I'm in I'm in my grandparents' house, and the bed faces the closets, and there are these accordion closets on these runners, um, so you can hear them open and close. And I'm laying there, and I'm freaking out because I've always felt weird in this room. And my aunts told me all these crazy stories, and I'm laying there, and I can't sleep, and I'm tossing and turning, and I'm terrified. And finally, I just give up, and I flip over in my, on my back, and I think to myself, I never said any, a word out loud, but, you know, I thought this very clear thought in my brain. I remember just thinking, you know, if there is something in this room that wants to kill me or hurt me, I wish it would just do it now or let me get some sleep. <laughs> and no sooner had I had that thought you know, gone through my brain, then the closet doors roll open on their tracks from both sides. It's dark, so I can't see it, but I can hear them roll open. And I sat straight up in bed, and in the next instant, I was in the living room downstairs. And I think I ran in that (laughs) amount of time. I'm sure you did. I would have. Yeah. 
but I really, I, I mean, that's, I, that's with my, there's a, you know, memory stop. I sat up in bed, and the next thing I know, I'm downstairs. And, uh, of course, nobody, you know, believes me. Our, our whole family says, you know, oh, that's the room that was built onto the house. So if there's one room that can't be haunted, that's the one. Uh, and I don't know if I necessarily agree with that idea, but, but, uh, but yeah. But I hear course, you, buddy. Yeah, but, of course, my aunt, uh, you know, believes me all the way. And the crazy thing is that to this day, I've slept in that room hundreds of times and never, ever had a problem again or even felt the, slight, the slightest spookiness. Yeah, well, after that, uh, thank you, after that kind of challenge, like either kill me now or let me get some damn sleep, the the door is rolling open, I'd be gone too. So, so quickly, because obviously at that point, the decision to kill would have been made. (laughs) There's something about closets anyway. What is it about closets? What is it about closets? Now, I insist that the closets be closed at night. And, you know, I'm an older guy now, and uh, you wouldn't think I'd have these kind of superstitions, but I do. I don't like open closets. I do not like open closets. And uh, even in the dark, you know they're open, and there's just something about them. There's nothing in there, clothes and hangers and all the rest of it. But (laughs) let's go, uh, oh, I don't know, let's go uh, west of the Rockies to uh, Beatrice. Hi. Hi, Art. How are you today? Just fine. Great. Well, my ghost story, um, it was, I lived in Reno at the time, and I lived in a small apartment, and it was an apartment building where there was like a, a long hallway, and then all of the doors open into this hallway. Right. Um, well, I had fallen asleep. I had been in the apartment only like three months. So I had fallen asleep in the living room watching TV, and I was on the couch, and um I was awakened by uh, the sound of somebody putting their key in my door and the door opening. And my my manager had told me that they had changed the key, so I wasn't expecting anybody to have a key. Obviously. So anyway, I hear this guy coming in my apartment, and he goes to the um, – my kitchen was immediately to the right. So he goes in the right – or to the right – and goes to the phone that's hanging on the wall. And he's on the phone talking to this guy, telling him that, you know, the deal was off unless it was a 50-50, you know, split. And then I guess the guy finally agreed with him. So the guy hangs up the phone, and he gets a paper bag from between the wall and the refrigerator, and he opens the bag. You know how when you um, open a bag, but you just kind of, um, shake it and open it with the air. Of course. That's how he did it. And he walked to the back bedroom, and I could hear him, like, putting clothes in the bag. So then he comes to the um, kitchen again, puts the bag in the kitchen, and then he gets a banana through in the refrigerator because he opens the refrigerator and gets a banana. I didn't have any bananas in my house at the time. But, you know, the, the, when somebody opens a banana, you can smell it. Well, sure? I, I smelled the banana, and I'm laying in bed, and and I've got the. Cover. Why aren't you on the phone calling nine one one? He was in the kitchen, and the kitchen was oh, only. That's like where the phone away. was. Okay, I got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm on the I'm I'm on the couch, and I've got the blankets up covering every everything except my eyes. So he comes around the kitchen area and goes into the living room where I am, 
and he goes and opens the curtains, you know, like looking out through the uh, sliding door. And I'm petrified. And, and this guy, and he was solid. It was a solid ghost. And I thought he was real. But um, anyway, he was, he was about 5'7", blonde hair, fair skin, blue eyes. He was wearing jeans and a white T-shirt. And he had his T-shirt rolled up like, um, you know, they rolled him up in the 50s, I guess. Well, I thought he was real. I thought he was going to kill me. I thought he was going to rape me. I didn't know what he was going to do. But then he bent down like if he was going to tie his shoe. And that's when I saw that he didn't have any feet and he didn't have any hands. Oh, God. So then I, I didn't know what to do. I was going to scream. I didn't. But then I didn't want to scream because then he would have known I was there and all of that. Yes, yes, yes. So then finally he gets the bag and he goes out the door and goes and meets his friend i guess and i got up and i called the police and and they you know they came around and stuff and and looked but there wasn't anybody there so in the morning because this was like at one or two in the morning so in the morning the deadbolt on my um well it wasn't a deadbolt it was like a, a the chain lock oh of course yes that was on the door was locked the windows were all locked and there was a banana peel in my uh, trash. Oh, God. <laughs> and I, I, had, I had been getting, you know, the guy's mail for the last three months. And after that day, I didn't get any more of his mail. Well, obviously, he concluded his business. I guess. Well, I was still scared, and I wanted to know who that guy was. So I, I called the manager of the apartment building, and I said, I'm going to describe this guy, and you tell me if you know who he is. Mm-hmm. So I described the guy and everything, and the manager says, oh, that's the guy that used to live in the apartment before you. And see, they hadn't been able to, to rent the apartment for like two months before I did. So and the guy didn't know where he was. The manager didn't know where this guy was anymore. Huh. Wonder if, I'm, I wonder if he was even still alive. I don't know. I don't know. Apparently not. All right, dear. Thank you very much for the call. Uh, somebody with a little unfinished business. Now, I wonder if that has something to do or a lot to do with time. In other words, was that kind of some, some sort of a ghostly time slip? Somebody who had passed away, who had lived there previously, who had some unfinished business. But to use a phone and to make a call and consummate a deal... That's that's really odd. But you see, it is a very odd world that we live in, isn't it? Very odd indeed. Uh, on the fourth wild card line, uh, you're on the air, Michael, from Michigan. Good morning, Mr. Bell. Good morning. I'll try not to eulogize you this morning. Um, my my parents' house is was a farmhouse built in the 1870s. Um, very large farmhouse with a complete Michigan basement, what we call Michigan basement, complete basement. Um, right. Four rooms in the basement and a coal chute. Very old farmhouse, very large. In 1994, between my sophomore and junior year of college, I had come home to make some su- summer money. And my parents and my siblings had decided to go on vacation. I couldn't go with them because I was working a full-time job at the time, um, second shift. Uh, and my parents' house, you know, we had a very sober, very religious upbringing. But we were all used to the hauntings of the house. Everybody agreed that the house was haunted. It was a very benign haunting. You know, you'd hear footsteps when you were the only person in the house. 
Mm-hmm. Lights were turned on, and no, very benign haunting. Nobody paid any attention to it. I'm working second shift, so I left the fire light on every day when I left home so that when I come home off my shift, there'd be a light on still that I could get into the house and have light. This, the second night after my parents and siblings had gone on vacation, I came home to a dark house, and I thought to myself immediately, I must have forgot to turn on the light before I left. So I unlock the door, and I go over to the switch, and I flip it up and down, and I get no response from the light. And I proceed into the next room, and I do the same, and go through the entire downstairs of the house, and there's no lights coming on. No and I, you, you've got the creepy, empty house feeling, but that's the only feeling I'm getting. The refrigerator's, the refrigerator's not running. The freezer's not running. So I go upstairs, and I repeat the same to the same result. So I grab a flashlight out of the kitchen drawer, and the circuit box is in the basement. And nobody ever liked going in the basement in the best of times because there's always a feeling in the basement uh, that you weren't wanted in the basement. You didn't need to go down in the basement if you didn't have to. I, I opened up the basement door, and I had a very malevolent feeling coming up the basement well. So I went and grabbed one of our house cats, one of our pets, and took it over to the basement because I've always heard that animals can see, and growing up on a farm, you know that animals know what's going on, even if mm-hmm. people don't. And walk over to the basement door, and the cat starts hissing and spitting, growling in its throat. It was very unhappy with me. I walked down the steps to the basement, and each step is harder than the last step to take. Um, the feeling of malevolence is getting stronger each step I take. In the fuse box, the shaker box, is in the third room in the basement over by the cold chute. As I go over to the cold chute, getting closer and closer, this cat finally hisses, spits, claws me, jumps out of my arms towards the circuit box, hissing, spitting, clawing the whole time, turns around and runs up the stairs. When I got over to the circuit box, the circuits hadn't been popped. They had all been flipped to the off position. Mm. And this is in a house that was locked up tighter than a drum. Every circuit in the house had been flipped to the off position. So I, all I had to do was move them to the left to turn them all back on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I hightailed it out of the house. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you, I don't know how you kept going. As you mentioned, it, it you could feel a darker and meaner spirit every step of the way, and yet you kept going, even after the cat clawed and and jumped out of your arms. I, Mr. Bell, in in my mind and even out loud, I was saying the Psalm 19. Um, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You are my yeah, well, Lord. you felt evil, though. <laughs> I know, I know the psalm. All right. Well, thank you very much. I, cats, cats indeed um, are very sensitive to this sort of thing, perhaps even more than dogs. I think more than dogs. Cats are very sensitive to this kind of thing. And I can assure you, if that cat had been getting increasingly on edge, and then I, it never would have come to the point for me where the cat would have had to have clawed me and screamed and gone running back up the steps. I'd have been uh, taking the back, uh, taking the cat to back up. I can assure you, myself, 
Let's go to the, well, let's see. Let's go here and say Butch in Ohio. You're on the air. Ghost to Ghost AM. Hi, Art. Hi. Uh, I, I hope this story is is worthy for your listeners, but back in 1981, I was a paramedic in a suburb of Cincinnati. I'm currently living in the Cleveland area, mm-hmm. displaced Cincinnati and now. And uh, it was my first suicide that I had ever gone to and any person who has ever done that kind of line of work they never forget their first suicide and I remember getting the call from the station and 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 we're on our way to the residence and something told me this person has hung himself and I'm panicking because I've never seen a a suicide before Mm -hmm. but when we got to the residence I walked in the door with my partner and it was no hanging. The place reeked of gunpowder. And there was a woman standing in the living room, and she pointed up the steps. She said, he's up there. And I knew what I was in for. And there he lies alongside the bed. And he had put a gun to his head, and he had a note there and everything. And uh, it, it, it was just a suicide. And that's where... That's the only thing that I can guarantee what happened. And we treated him. Uh, he, oh, I've never been on a suicide where a person was dead when you get there. They're always gurgling on their own blood, trying to breathe, and the blood flows from their head into their throat. Mm-hmm. And bottom line, the man didn't make it. I've never had one that did make it. Now, fast forward to the year of 2002. My wife, Diane, and I are uh, vacationing in Gettysburg. And are you still there, Art? No, I'm still here. Okay. We're vacationing in Gettysburg in, in 2002. And what do you do in Gettysburg? But you visit the battlefield and you, you go to these ghost seances or these entertainment places where they tell you ghost stories. Well, mm-hmm. after, the, after the presentation was over, we're standing outside, my wife and I, and we're talking to another couple that we had met there. And... Uh, she starts talking about how the house she lives in is haunted. And one thing led to another. We're talking, and here she's from the same suburb of Cincinnati that I used to work in. And, and we're talking, and, and um, she tells me what street she lives on. And I said, well, I, I made a run there one time in, in 1981 for a suicide on Timely Terrace, which was her street. And she said, that's when it happened. And she began to tell me that she was in the process of suing the realtor, the previous owner of the house, because it was haunted. And I said, haunted? She said, yeah, that man didn't commit suicide. He was murdered. Oh, my God. And I I said, murdered? He was never murdered. It was a suicide. The police were there with me and everything. I'm sure there was an investigation. Right. She said, no, that man has appeared to her son. And he looks at the boy and he says, she murdered me. Art, all I can uh, uh, guarantee is, is the part that I was involved with was that the fact that I went to this house in 1981. Sure. A man committed suicide. I did my best and he didn't make it. And now in 2002, I run into the woman that owns the house. And she says it was not a, a suicide. Got yeah. it. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I think that. In the case of suicides, forget the rest of it. In, in just e- e- even if it had just been a suicide, 
there's something that uh, so frequently, more frequently than not, seems to cause spirits to hang around. Now, that may reinforce some of uh, what some of you or many of you have heard about suicides and uh, the fact that uh, you don't get to see your loved ones if you commit suicide. Now, there's a great deal of disagreement about this, but in fact, uh, more times than not, when there has been a suicide, there is some sort of spirit that seems to remain. Now, in the case of a murder, it would perhaps even be more so, and the person murdered... Well, I told you the story about the lady who found uh, the skeleton in her attic. They want it known. They want it known. They want to know, they want the world to know what happened to them. And I guess until they find out, they don't move on. They don't rest. They're unable to, um, that's the only way I can put it. They're unable to be at peace. And until they're at peace, they don't move on. Remember, move to the light. Isn't that what everybody says? Go to the light. Remember uh, John Lear's statement, which actually came from somebody else, which said, oh, no, 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 don't go to the light. The light is a trick. Go to the darkness, said John. That will bug me until the day I die, and I'm faced with that choice. Nevertheless, I think I probably will go to the light, and I recommend that for the rest of you as well. In the night, this is Ghost to Ghost AM. Indeed, here I am. I'm not going to say Happy Halloween for the children that go around and collect candy. I'm sure it is. For adults who have experienced what you're hearing tonight, just doesn't fit, does it? Sandy in Liverpool, New York, sends the following. Art, as a young child... I experienced a paradox that has haunted me throughout my life. This is a true story. Never told anyone because it still disturbs me, so I don't know if it's going to have the same chilling effect on other people, but here it is. As a young girl, I had past life memories of another family. I was convinced I was adopted, which my parents always denied and I accepted. But when I was older, they showed me my birth certificate, there was much sadness in the other family because my grandfather was a stern, controlling, professional man that was angry with his daughter, my mom, for falling in love with a man of the working class. He refused consent to their marriage, so they eloped and eventually had a child. That would be me. The marriage failed, and the mother and child moved back in. Agreement they'd live by his rules. Yeah, his house, his rules. The mother became severely depressed and stayed in her room. The child was raised in the house without love from others. The twist in all this is that the home of this family was about eight blocks from my own house. So we'd occasionally drive past the house. Every time we passed that house, I'd hear a girl calling to me, pleading for me to help her. The first few times it happened, I believed that she was real and would ask my father to stop the car because I had to help her. She was pleading loudly, but they were unable to hear her. I eventually was able to see her silhouette in the window, and she'd implore me to help, but I knew she wasn't real. She was a ghost that I could see and hear telepathically. I was very uh, disturbed. It was disturbing for me indeed as a young child. When I was older, I learned about reincarnation. Then I understood the family was, in fact, a past life. 
the paradox? That ghost was me. Me in a past life, pleading with me to help me. The question, what is a ghost if it is not a soul that has remained earthbound? More in a moment. To the third wild card line we go. You're on the air. It's Ghost to Ghost AM. Good morning. Hello there. Going once. Going twice. Gone. Okay, let's uh, let's move here and say, Sharon, uh, good morning. In Toronto, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi, I'd like Hi. to tell a story about a house I grew up in in Brampton. Uh, fire away. My uh, mother, brother, and I all had uh, a lot of experiences with haunting there, benign, sometimes even friendly, uh, sightings, smells, and sounds. But what I want to tell you about is my father, who was a big skeptic. He sometimes couldn't deny that he heard certain things, but he really wouldn't get into it like we all were. But uh, one time... When he and I were in our living room, he got up, had a coughing fit, being a smoker, and he had a stroke. I was a little kid. I freaked out, ran across the living room, bumped my leg into the coffee table, tripped over the dog, tripped up the steps as I was hollering to alert my mom and my brother. <clears throat> Everyone was in the living room fussing over him. He was unconscious, uh, calling 911 and such. And he came out of it okay, <clears throat> pardon me, and... About a week later, we were sitting in the living room talking about the ghosty stuff, and this time my father chose not to make fun of us. In fact, he was wanting to tell us that he was more into it than before. He was having a hard time telling us that he's changed his mind, so what he did was he told me that when he had a stroke a week before, he he told me that I bumped my leg into the coffee table, tripped over the dog, and tripped up the steps while hollering. Oh of course, this gave me chills because I knew he was unconscious. I, you know, yelled at him first when he fell down and passed out. I knew he was out. So, you know, this got our attention. And he told us that while this all happened, he had an out-of-body. His experience was a viewpoint from over our mantle near the ceiling, watching the family fuss over him and the ambulance come and all. Also, an old woman and an old man were there watching everything as well. And looking concerned, he said they seemed concerned. The um, elderly part of it confirmed some uh, of the sounds that my parents heard, which were the uh, a very distinct sound of these velvet homemade slippers that the old people used to wear when my yes. parents were young, right. always coming down our wooden stairs. My parents, would, this is the thing that my father would, couldn't deny when him and my mom were together and she would hear it. She'd see in his face that he'd hear it too, but he wouldn't admit it. I have chills right now. But uh, Well, uh, listen, once you've been out of your physical body as he was, uh, there's not much doubt left, is there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, not really, because I mean, you're uh, 
your those those skeptics, those doubters, when they leave their physical body and they begin observing the living from a non-living uh, position, well, what's left to doubt? Then you know there is an existence that can be outside of your physical body, and so that sort of changes everything you think, doesn't it? course it does first time caller line uh rob in toronto you're on the air hello art how are you hello i'm fine i'm i'm glad to speak to you this is the first time i've ever spoken to you um this what i've got to tell you is is really strange um my aunt this was years ago um lives uh, lived up in sault saint marie ontario and i live our family lived in toronto uh, this is one very cold winter. Um, around eleven, eleven thirty at night, I got a phone call from my aunt, asking us to tell, asking to talk to my mother and asking uh, the family to forgive her for all the problems she's she had been the black sheep of the family. And uh, you know, we we told her we loved her, and then of course we forgive her. Man. Mm-hmm. It didn't make much sense, but you know, you know how your families are when you, when you have a black sheep that sort of wants to make up. Uh, we found out, Mark, the next day that my aunt had a heart attack and had uh, fallen um, in the snow and uh, had frozen to death that night. Oh my God! Um, but the problem was that she had done it around nine o'clock at night. So obviously that call was made from elsewhere. Yeah. Got it. Uh, th- these kinds of things um, do happen, and it, it. I'm very curious. Somebody on the other side can avail themselves of electronic communication. There is something about electronic communication, whether it be a telephone or a computer or whatever it is, that seems to lend itself to those on the other side. Now, it may be that uh, the only medium they themselves through some uh, other means is electromechanic, uh, uh, electromagnetic, rather, I'm sorry. And so perhaps they're able to manifest and use electronic things um, as a step that would be ahead of manifestation that may take an awful lot of power, an awful lot of oomph, an awful lot of whatever it is you have or don't have enough of on the other side. I don't know. A wild card line one, you are on the air, ghost to ghost AM. Hello, Art. Hello there. Yes, hello. Hi. Uh, pleasure to talk to you tonight on Ghost to Ghost. Uh, I was working as a in a... Uh, funeral home back in the late 70s. I was a teenager working part-time after school and uh, worked uh, six to midnight every night. Uh, I was there at night with a lady that was a licensed embalmer. I'll call her Dorothy. Uh, We had one body in the prep room that night, and he was a biker of some repute in the local area. Uh, supposedly into Satanism and, and other unsavory things. Great. And uh, among my duties, uh, oh, I did things like wash the limos and the hearse and uh, uh, keep the casket display room nice and neat. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I was working one night. I had polished all the caskets and uh, was vacuuming the, the carpet in this room. This was a very, very old building uh, that had started out as a colonial mansion and been many decades before it turned into a funeral home. I had the old-fashioned two-button light switches, if you remember those. Of course. And uh, all the circuits in the room were powered by these switches out in the hallway, even the wall outlets. And I was running the vacuum cleaner, and uh, suddenly, I, over the sound of the vacuum, I heard one of these switches click, and the vacuum cleaner died. And a second later, I heard another click, and the lights in the room went out, and I was left in the dark. Huh. Uh, I assume that this was my coworker Dorothy playing games with me because we did this occasionally, just trying to freak each other out. Sure. And uh, I wasn't going to give her any satisfaction, so I went back out in the hallway and I turned on the switches for the vacuum, and I turned on the switches for the light, and I went back in and went back to work. Uh, not a minute went by when it happened again. Well, same thing. I went back out, turned it on, went back to work, <laughs> and. Uh, then it happened a third time. I went up to the office where Dor Dorothy was, and I told her that you know I wanted to get my work done and go home for the night, and please stop playing games with me. Mm -hmm. And she, of course, protested her innocence, and so I insisted that she come back to the room with me. There was nobody else in the funeral home, and it was locked up for the night. So she and I were standing in there, and, of course, she still maintained her innocence, and I started vacuuming again. And uh, no sooner than I started the vacuum cleaner up, it went off, and I had enough time to look up at her standing right there face-to-face -face with me and heard the light switch click, and the lights went out in the room again. And I knew that it had to be this biker fellow that was in the next room, and he obviously did not want us in there. Apparently, the, the vacuum cleaner was bothering him. But uh, we... Oh, uh, that's bad. <laughs> We uh, looked at each other in the dark and uh, decided that it was time to lock up and go home for the night. <laughs> You've got a deep kind of biker voice yourself, like you swallowed too many bugs on the road or something. <laughs> <Call me> smoke. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thank you very much. I, um, I don't like that because, of course, I don't think anybody really wants to think that um, they're still connected to their body. I mean, upon physical death, you want to be gone. You want to be out of your body, gone on to whatever uh, is next, even if it's some sort of haunting or some sort of, you know, uh, barely visible or even invisible existence. That's what you want to imagine. You don't want to imagine that you're with your body that is simply, put it any other way, beginning to rot away. Wildcard line, you're on the air. Hi, Art. <laughs> Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm doing good. A little cold here tonight, but not too bad. Cold is good for these kind of stories. <laughs> yeah, I have a spirit writing story. Um, I used to kind of dabble in it because I'd read about it, but I didn't really think it was real. And when I did it, nothing ever really happened. What are you I, talking about? This automatic writing yeah, thing? Yeah, where you just kind of uh -huh. let your hand move. Yes. So, you know, I never really thought anything of it. So this one time, the last time, actually, I ever did it because of this incident, um, I noticed that when I did it, it was kind of like when you do a Ouija board, it kind of moves around in a circular kind of figure eight pattern. And yes. then it moves around. 
well, the pencil starts moving like that. But then it started going faster and faster and faster, and I thought, okay. And then it just started, like, digging into the paper, and I thought, okay, this is kind of weird. I'm going to stop. And my hand wouldn't stop. It just kept digging harder and harder in a figure eight pattern into the paper, and it was kind of freaking me out. So I thought, I'm going to stop now, and my hand wouldn't stop. It was like it wasn't my hand anymore. So I had to physically grab it with my left hand, and it was still trying to move, regardless of what I was doing. So I finally just called out and said, I don't want you here. I want you to go away. And I had to say it a couple of times before I felt like whatever it was let go of my hand. And it wasn't really that I felt anything holding my hand. It was almost like no, kind I'm of with a you. tingle. What happened is you invited something in. It came in. Yeah, it took never control, had... and it didn't want to let go. <laughs> yeah, but the weird thing was, was right after that happened, and it was like the moment I kind of decided I wasn't ever going to do it again, this second-hand bookstore chain here that I go to, the one that I was going to most often, they had the sci-fi fantasy books next to the occult section. Mm-hmm. And it just happened that right after that, I went to the bookstore, like a few days later or something, and I happened to look at the occult section since it was right there, and there was this book that caught my eye, and I can't remember the exact title, but it was some something about sim- symbology or something. So I opened it up, and I was skimming through it, and like the second part, that the book fell open, it said something about if you're doing spirit writing and you get a figure eight, you got an evil spirit. Oh. And I just thought it was freaky that that was like the second page that it fell open on. And I thought, okay, that's a sign never to do this ever again. So I've never done it again. It kind of, I like to be in control. (laughs) Yeah, I I fully understand, Jen, so do I. Um, That's an interesting story. It, It seems as though... It has everything to do with intent. So it doesn't really matter whether it's a Ouija board. Obviously, you know, when you sit down at a Ouija board, you have a certain intent. You're saying, okay, if you're out there, come on, let's rock. Or if you put a pencil in your hand or a pen and say, let's try this automatic writing thing, your intent is what? Your intent is to invite a spirit or something to take over and begin doing it. Well, in her case, it did. I think it had, it really, really, really has to do with intent. I don't think the Ouija board in and of itself is important, nor is the pencil important. It all has to do with your intent. Be careful what you invite in. Uh, let's go to the international line and say, hi there, you're on the air. Hi. Is this Art? Uh, that would be me. Hi, Art. Uh, it's John DeBolt. Oh, I'm not speaking my last name. I um, was talking to you before on the on the other line. I didn't get to tell the rest of my story. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. You're actually only allowed to call uh, one time, buddy. Just one one call per customer. East of the Rockies, uh, Joe. You're on the air. Hi, Art. How you doing tonight? I'm fine. Um, I called in to tell you a story about a angry spirit. Okay. Um, I I'm not the kind of person that has seen a lot of stuff in my life, but once when I was a child, uh, I was about eight years old. <clears throat> my mother, uh, uh, we lived in an apartment building about 20 miles northeast of Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania, 
we lived there for for some time, and we got to know a lot of the other people that lived in the building. And uh, one of the couples that we met was an elderly Italian couple that lived down on the first floor. Uh, my dad became real good friends with uh, their son, and, uh, you know, they had some of our birthday parties at their apartment, that kind of thing. Um, when she, when the wife passed away, they uh, decided to move, and they asked my dad if they could store some of the stuff uh, that they needed to store in our apartment for a while. And, sure. you know, of course, said, sure. Uh, they, for some reason, you know, I was an eight-year-old boy, they decided to put a a chest in my room, um, and all they told me was, don't get in there, uh, which I got to say really piqued my interest. Hmm. Of um, course. As soon as we got sent to bed that night, uh, the first thing I did was open up the chest and start looking around in there, and there was a lot of really neat old stuff. Uh, there was like a wedding dress, and there were some dishes and pictures, and uh, I was uh, really excited to just look through it all. Um, I happened to hear my dad coming down the hall at one point in time and I like just hurriedly stuffed everything back into the chest um I jumped up into my bed and I covered myself up like as if I was already you know trying to pretend that I was in bed the whole time and uh my All right. father hold, walked hold, away hold the uh, punchline to this one we're up against a break so uh we'll be with, we'll be back with you in just a moment 2006 ghost to ghost am that would be me. It's all you this night. If you've got a good story, the aforementioned numbers, or send us a fast blast. Be sure to include your area code and phone number. If it's a good one, we'll call you. Back in a moment. All right, back to Joe uh, in Pennsylvania. Joe, you're back on the air. Yeah, uh, like I was saying, um, uh, I had gotten into the, the woman's chest, and I had messed around. I had a bunch of stuff out on the floor. When I thought I heard my father coming, I hurried up and threw everything back into the chest and closed it and jumped into bed and tried to pretend like I was already in bed. He just walked right by the door. He didn't stop. And uh, I thought, boy, I was pretty lucky, you know. And I, I laid there for a second, and I thought I heard somebody whisper my name. Uh, sort of sounded like it was sort of coming from the closet in my room. And uh, my first thought was it was my younger sister maybe, you know, playing with me. And uh, I just ignored it. But then I, I heard it again, and, and uh, I said, hey, come on out of the closet. Quit messing around, you know. And uh, I heard the, the third time the name was getting louder each time. And the third time it was kind of almost insistent. It was just Joey. And I actually got up out of the bed and walked to the closet and opened the closet to make sure, you know, to get my sister and tell her to get out of there. But the, the closet was empty. I, I went back to my bed and I climbed back in bed and I was, you know, a little bit worried about it. And I heard it again the fourth time and it sort of sounded like it was coming from behind me. And as I rolled over, uh, I want to say it was the woman that I knew, uh, maybe two feet above me, oh. um, glaring at me uh, with such an anger 
uh, just a furiousness. Um, uh, I can tell you that it was uh, it was a smoky sort of an appearance. Uh-huh. Um, well, it was, uh, you had violated. Uh, it's like violating somebody's <laughs> diary or something. Yeah, apparently it was her hope chest that she had had since she was a teenage girl. Um, I, uh, it, like I said, it was, it, I want to say it was her, but it really didn't look like her because the woman that I knew was always very gentle and kind and smiling and happy. And, uh, it was very vivid down to the, where I can tell you that I could see the hair like flowing. And I mean, instantly I was out of that bed and down the hall and into my parents' room screaming at the top of my lungs mom help me help me i you know i was so totally terrified uh my mother panicked she called my uh, told my father to call his friend and have them take that chest right now out of the room well the next day when they had gone through it they found out that i had broken a couple of things in a couple of the dishes when i had thrown everything back in <laughs> and uh uh, my mother was pretty angry with me, but they decided not to punish me because they felt like, you know, that that had been punishment enough in itself. And I got to say, um, since that day, I've never doubted for a second that there is something after this life. I mean, it's as certainty as uh, anything I, I could uh, say that I know is the truth. All right, Joe. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's what it does. It uh, It makes you absolutely certain. Okay, uh, to... Uh, let's see. Let's go to the first-time caller line and say, Rachel in Burbank, you're on the air. Yes, hello. Um, I'm a first-time caller, and I just want to say awesome to be able to talk to you. So cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, so first off, I never really believed in ghosts at all, and people would tell me ghost stories, and I was always like, yeah, whatever, okay. But um, I started working at a restaurant in Colorado. That's where all my family is, and then I moved out to California. But when I lived in Colorado... Um, I worked at this restaurant, and when I first started working there, one of the girls told me that the place was haunted. And I was like, okay, whatever, yeah, sure. So she goes, no, a lady came in, and she did a seance, and she said what happened, and then she said, and she told me that supposedly there was a girl that was murdered in one of the upstairs rooms, and then there was also a, a guy that was involved in some Chicago mafia of some sort, and he would come out to Colorado for vacationing, and he would come to this restaurant, and he loved it there. It was one of his favorite places. But when he was killed, they said that his ghost came back to this restaurant, and it still haunts it. And he was a really big womanizer. So oh. I was like, okay, whatever. So she tells me this, and I worked there, and I'm like three months in now, and it was time for me to open. And they were only open in the evenings. And so I go in to open, and I am bending over to get trays because you have to put them all out on the tables first off to catch the food because it's a really fancy restaurant. So I'm bending over to to, to get these trays out of this um, chest. Well, not a chest, but it's like a cabinet area. And I'm bending over, and something, I swear to you, grabs my behind. That's what they told me to call, to say. (laughs) But, like, literally grabs me. And I swing around, you know, really fast, and there's nothing there. And I'm totally, like, flustered and panicky. And I run back to the back kitchen to see, you know, if the chef had come in yet. And I run back there, and he was just walking in the door. And he's like, hey, what's going on? And I was like, oh, my gosh, did you just get here? And he goes, yes. And I was totally, like panicking i was like ah 
because it's never ever I've never heard of even them like making physical contact of any kind. So I called my mom immediately, you know, and was crying to her, and I was like, I can't believe this happened. And so she called her friend, and her friend said that yes. She knows a lot about ghosts or whatever, and she goes, that that is true. They have made some kind of physical contact. They have been able to. So, but that's pretty much my story. But now I totally, I, I believe when I hear stories like that because I used to not. So. Well, uh, I appreciate the story, Rachel, and I'm I'm going to have to think a little bit about what that says uh, about physical urges. Now, as far as I always knew, they were inclusive of those in bodies but maybe not <laughs> that's, that's really wild i wonder you know everybody's uh, always asked about sex on the other side maybe we just got an answer i don't know uh wild card line four uh rebecca in chicago you're on the air hi art pleasure to talk hi. to you um well i've got a story about a a friend of mine that believes uh, about 32 years ago this happened that she and her husband saw an apparition in the middle of the night and uh, we lived in an apartment building, and they lived right next door to me, apartments side by side. And uh, one morning she came over, and she was visibly shaken, and she asked me, did you smell anything burning during the night? And I said, you know, no, you know, what's, what's going on? And she said that she and her husband were woken up in the middle of the night by a smell of something really bad, something really bad burning. Boy, a lot of that. I'm getting a lot of that tonight. Yeah, well, they jumped up out of bed. And uh, headed towards the hallway to, you know, exit out of the apartment, supposedly. And she said as they got into the hallway, they saw a really large, kind of tall, dark figure. And she said she felt a, a great sense of evil and uh, and harm at that time. And she said that uh, they're both of Hispanic descent, uh, um, Catholic, very devout Catholic. And they fell to their knees, and she said... Uh, they started praying, and they were crying, and she said that all of a sudden it just disappeared. Well, she said earlier that day they were unfortunately in some financial troubles, and her husband had said that he would sell his soul to the devil to help them get out of their financial bind. Oh, my God. And she was convinced that the devil had come to collect. So never, I, I still ever, get ever say anything like never, that. Never, no. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I said you never say anything like that. Um, I, I certainly appreciate your call. I think that once you make such a deal, whether you say it out loud uh, or just think it, that the deal is done. I don't think there's any going back or canceling deals of that sort. I really don't. I think that's... Uh, We'll just leave it alone. Um, you're on the air from Redding, California. Albert, hi. Hi, how are you? Um, okay, good. I have a, a brief ghost story. Um, I once lived in a, a very small apartment, and um, I, I used to have weird things happen. Things would move around by themselves. And Anyway, um, one night I, I, I walked into my living room, and it, right by my door I saw a female ghost. Um, just standing there looking at me, and she was wearing a like some kind of dress from another century. She looked very ancient, and um, she was very pale and white. And as I looked at her, she just slowly faded away. And some time went by, and um, one night um, I I used to always turn my phone ringer off at night so it wouldn't wake me up. I turned it off, went to bed, um, woke up some time later hearing the phone ring. When I answered, there was no one there. 
I turned it off again, went to bed. The phone rang again, got up, and there was no one there. And then it happened a third time. And the third time I said to myself as I was going to – well, I turned my heater off too, by the way. I forgot to say that. And it was an old heater where you, you'd have to turn a lever um, to turn it off. And I said to myself, wouldn't it be interesting if I wake up and the heater is on? And that's exactly what happened. I woke up <laughs> and the heater was on. So I went out there and turned it off. And then I finally fell asleep, and I had a dream where there was a storm, a, a really bad storm in my apartment complex. The wind was blowing intensely, and this female ghost appeared to me, and she said that she was just passing by, and she was the one that did the, that, those pranks. And um, anyway, a little bit of time went by, and I asked the, the managers and maintenance men if they had any knowledge of a graveyard being in that area, because I know um, that those kinds of things tend to happen around graveyards and cemeteries. And they all say they had no knowledge of any graveyard or anything. And about a year went by and I heard on my local news that they were building a Walmart right next to my, my apartment complex. There was a field right next, right outside my window of my bedroom. And they were building this Walmart and they had to stop construction because they found an, a sacred Indian burial site right there. Oh, my God. Yeah, right. It was just right outside my window. So I don't know if that, that woman had anything to do with the, you know, the graveyard there, but I think that there might be a link, you know. Could be. Could certainly be. I, again, it unnerves me to imagine that we are required to remain in the immediate vicinity of our bodies. I don't like that one at all. When it's a house, that's not so bad. You can imagine a house. You can even imagine an area, but you don't want to imagine remaining uh, with your body or something like that. And so many stories seem to sort of point in that direction. West of the Rockies, it's uh, Alicia. Is that correct in Miami? That is correct, Mr. Bell. How are you this evening? Just fine. Um, My story was back in 1982 in Chicago, Illinois. It was a it was like October, early October, and it was a beautiful Indian summer, a couple of days, and it was a Sunday night, and it was beautiful, magnificent weather, and my husband and two children were, were coming home, and the people next door had company, and the kids were outside, but it was about 10.30, quarter to 11. It was really late. It was a school night, and I told the kids they couldn't play, and I put them to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, a little while later... In the back of the house, we had this room that we used as a television room to, for the kids. We hear a knock. It had big windows, and we hear a knock really hard. And I said, ah, that's, you know, the neighbor's kids trying to get, you know, our kids' attention. Don't worry about it, honey. And we hear the knock again. So my husband gets up, not too happy, and I was pregnant with our third child, and I was wobbling out, chasing behind him for him not to, you know, make a scene with the kids. They didn't realize it was late at night. And he he turned the corner from the kitchen into the dining room to go to that back room, and as I went to turn the corner, he backed straight into me, pale as a ghost like terrified so I I didn't know what he was seeing but he was um in law enforcement and he had his gun and I said I've never said that I said get the gun pull the gun just shoot it and he and he's just nodding his head no and he looked at me and he said what I just saw my gun will do nothing 
So then he's just walking toward the dining room. Now, I'm crying, wanting to be upstairs with my children, but terrified to, I was like stuck to him. You know, I was not going to be alone. Sure. And um, he went into the dining room and whatever it was knocked again. And then he went into that back room and I was with him and, and there was a door that went into the yard from that room and he went to open it. So I started screaming, please don't let it in. I don't want whatever you saw. I don't want it in if, if you can't kill it. And he went and he opened the door. And so then I thought our life is ruined. I'm crying all over the place, hanging on to him. And he looked at me and he said, would you be quiet? I saw a woman standing in front of the window knocking from the inside. I think she wants to get out. Oh, my God. And it was like, uh, he said it was like a black, all black. And, and I said, well, like a nun? And he said, either very long hair or, or, or a nun. And he said, you could see through her. She was like um, transparent. She wasn't completely solid, he said, but her right hand, she was just standing in front of that window with her right hand up, knocking. And I heard the knocks. I did not see her, thank goodness. And took I, wonder, I wonder if she made it out. Well, about seven or eight months later, we were in the Lions Club, and it was our turn to have a meeting at our home. And one of the members had brought a, a, a professor from the University of Illinois who was thinking about joining the Lions Club, and he was um, sensitive and he could channel people. And he, the man called me the next day, and he said, you know, I don't know if you're a believer or a non-believer, but, you know, the friend I brought, you know, can channel people. And he says, there's a woman all in black that, that walks through your house. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that did it for you. Huh? Oh, I said, I'm sure that did it for oh, you. God, yes. Yeah. After the guilt of leaving my poor children sleeping upstairs alone and me being too scared to run up there, yes. Been okay ever since? Um, yeah. I mean, I never saw her, and she didn't knock again. I figured if I don't hear the knock, we'll live through this. Maybe she made it out. All right, thank you very, very much. Um, how can you listen to these stories one after another after another and not begin to believe, even if you have not seen with your own eyes? And I know it's so easy to be skeptical and it's so easy to blow it off if you haven't seen with your own eyes. But even listening to a program of this sort, one after another after another, you don't honestly think all these people are making this up, do you? Susan in Florida, but you're not making up your story. No. <laughs> no. Hi, Art. Hi. Um. I would like to share with you and with the Coast audience how I ended up talking to a ghost. Well, you know, it wasn't any plan of mine, but it just ended up that way. Sure. And the event that started this, I was watching TV, I was watching the news, and they had a special report come on that a local high school, a 17-year-old student had stabbed another student that was 15 years old and i thought oh my gosh that that's terrible and they they you know they showed they were rushing him off to the you know the one that was stabbed they arrested the one and they're rushing the other one off to the emergency mm-hmm. and i thought oh gosh that's that's awful and then i then they showed students at that school some of them had gathered around a flagpole and they were praying 
And then they showed that they were having football practice before all this happened, and all the football players out there just knelt on one knee, and they were praying. And when I saw that, I thought, you know, I should be praying, too, for this, for this young guy. And I started to pray, and I just closed my eyes, and just, just in a few minutes, all of a sudden, it was like I was transported somehow to the emergency room where they were working on this young guy. Wow. And I saw his spirit, the, the spirit of this young guy standing by his body, watching them work on him. And he turned, when, I guess, I don't know what I looked like. I must have looked like a spirit, too. Nobody, nobody noticed me or anything. And he turned to me and he said, I'm afraid to die. I don't want to die. And I don't know. It was, it was like I just felt so bad for him, and I had been praying for him. And I said, you don't have to be afraid. Jesus is the way. He's the truth and the life. And if you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. And he was still frightened. So I'm talking to him while they're working on his body over here. And I'm hearing some of the things they're doing, like, like there was some kind of a suction thing going on. Uh-huh. And, and Listen, were, we're, we're just about out of time. Did he make it? He, after I talked to him, it was all of a sudden like he got sucked back into his body. He says, I've got to go now. But he said, I've got to go now, too. You, you hold on. We'll come back to you, dear. Stay right there. This is Ghost to Ghost AM. Ghost to Ghost AM, indeed, 2006. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are. It certainly is a pretty spooky night. We'll get back to uh, Susan in Florida right after this. reason I was asking uh, Susan whether he made it or not at the last moment before the break was because I had to know, since you were there while he was observing everybody working on him, did he, after he came back to the world, remember you? Well, what happened was that, like I say, they were working on his body and I could hear the noises, and it was getting to a point, I think, where they were going to kind of revive him a little bit because they were saying he's choking on his blood and they were um, doing some kind of suctioning or something. And he was still afraid, but, but then I told him, God can help you through this. You can trust him. Right. And, and when that young man's spirit, when he said, yes, I'll do that, all of a sudden it was like there was like light that came out of his spirit. It just sort of flooded over his spirit and in him, and he just had like, he says, now I'm not afraid. Now I know what you mean. And he says, I've got to go. And it was like, almost like just like a vacuum cleaner or something, just sucking him back toward his body. And he was sort of half in his body and half out of it, and he said, thank you. I'll be all right now. I'm not afraid. And then all of a sudden, as, as soon as he said that, it, it was like a vacuum cleaner or something sucking me back, and it was like 
I opened my eyes, and I thought, oh, my gosh. And I looked around, and I, here I was sitting in my living room, and I thought, oh, my gosh. And then I, I turned the TV back on to see what was going on, and about 20 to 30 minutes later, they announced on the TV that he died. Oh, my God. <sighs> and I was sad to hear that he died, but... I know that that's the weirdest sounding thing. I can't explain it except that somehow prayer must have made a bridge. That somehow spirit to spirit could communicate. And even though I'm sad that he died, I really sincerely feel that he died safely. Yeah, it sounds like you gave him uh, the comfort before he passed. You gave him the comfort to pass. That's that is really quite a story. Prayer, of course, is intent. And so she put herself right in the middle of a life and death situation. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. West of the uh, Rockies, Zach, you're on the air. Hello. Um, I used to be at a security guard um, at a cemetery. Mm-hmm. And um, I was in between rounds one day. And um, I'm in the office. And... You know, it was like the end of my shift. You know, I'm getting ready to leave and packing up. And there's a window, a big window, that's like by the front of the office, and you could see outside in the parking lot. Sure. And um, I felt something like like somebody was um, watching me or something like that. And um, I looked up, and uh, I saw like... Uh, like a foggy light, like it looked like a person, kind of like the outline of a person by mm-hmm. the window, like a foggy type of um, mist, kind of. And as sure. soon as I saw it, it moved away from the window. And uh, I ran outside to make sure, like, it wasn't, like, a car light, like somebody pulled into the parking lot, mm-hmm. or, like, maybe somebody was in there by the window. And I looked around, and nobody was around. And um, it just it struck me as weird, because... Uh, you know, I'm a little suspicious. I work in a cemetery, so, uh, you know, it made me think something was going on. Well, um, so beyond that, though, you don't know what it was. No, but another time I was in the back office and um, I was trying to relax, like in between rounds, you know, from checking the cemetery to make sure it's all secure because I was a guard there. And um, I thought I heard voices in another room. And I went and I checked everywhere, the whole place. I checked in the front of the cemetery because I thought I heard something like somebody talking like casually, like just in another room. And I'm trying to find, you know, the voice. And um, there's nobody around. You know, Uh it just sounded like people just casually talking, too. That's the creepy part because it was kind of low. Well, you had a creepy job anyway, Zach. Uh, Being a guard in a cemetery is kind of creepy and it, it keeps taking me back people keep mentioning these uh, cemeteries i don't want to think that uh, a spirit is anywhere near its uh, the body that it's left that doesn't make any sense to me with everything that we know with everything that we know about death that part makes no sense to me whatsoever why would you hang anywhere near your body but there are so many things that we truly don't know aren't there Wildcard line, uh, you're on the air, Tim, in Wisconsin. Was that me, Art? That's you. Oh, fabulous. Long-time listener. Good to hear you, and, and uh, good to hear that you're getting along very well over in uh, your uh, second life dimension, uh, uh, <laughs> shall we say, uh, 
uh, experience. Thank but uh, I've got a story for you that happened to me when I was a teenager. Uh, naturally, we were kids. Uh, interested. Uh, my father gave me the the book of Ros about Roswell when I was about thirteen years old. So I've been interested in all the paranormal different stuff since then. And so when we were kids, uh, three of us, uh, your screener said to jump right into the story. So here I go. And and, uh, we were interested in, you know, Aleister Crowley and reading all kinds of different manuals. And turned out that one of our friend's sister was involved in what evidently they call a coven and had access to this manual supposedly written in blood and all of this stuff. And, of course, again, we were teenagers, so part of this may be, uh, oh, you know, a little, there, there was probably a little gleam put on it for us to, be, to get us interested in this stuff back when we were teenagers, if you understand what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, anyhow, uh, we decided to uh, go ahead and give this a try to conjure up this being, uh, uh, which we had no idea what we were doing. This is kind of along the lines of the the, uh, um, the, the Ouija board. Uh, we had to actually go around and get some different items, oh, some rice paper, a quill, a, a pen made out of a, a crow's feather, a lemon, a black candle, a piece of charcoal. And uh, basically, I don't know if you want me to go into the details of how we... Just tell that. me what happened. Well, what happened was uh, after we did what this... I'll use the term recipe called for, Um, we kind of went into a haze for about an hour and woke up and realized that about an hour's time had gone by. And what this was was a supposed blood curse. And again, we were kids and we were playing around, you know, who is our uh, current enemy of the week, you know, who are we arguing with at school or something uh, that yes. week, you know, so we put the names of our current uh, uh, enemy on this rice paper, after which you had to cut yourself and use your own blood and use this uh, quill to write the name of this person mm-hmm. and recite this uh, 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 recital uh, while you're chanting or chant this recital while the candle's burning and whatnot. And so, what happened to these people? Astroth. Uh-huh. What happened to these people? Well, what happened is, strangely enough, I'm friends with actually uh, one of these people still. He's still alive. Uh-huh. Uh, but what happened was we came to about an hour after we had uh, started this ritual and right. realized, holy cow, uh, and saw this kind of misty kind of cool, weird feeling, and it seemed like something had happened. And what had happened in the long run, to get to what you're asking, is one of the guys, again, this was supposedly to create some sort of a blood curse on this victim that you... Very short on time, Tim. Okay. One guy got gout. Uh, another guy, uh, unfortunately, died in an auto accident through loss of blood. And the third guy 
moved away, and none of us, we live in a small town up here. Well, it's not so small anymore uh, in Racine, Wisconsin. Uh, he moved away, and we've never heard from him again. But uh, this was really in, 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 about, uh, uh, this was, the, the, the most interesting part of the story is that about another hour transpired after we were all done and, oh, well, you know, we did this, well, whoop-de-doo, we went down and started listening to music, and then we got a telephone call by a guy who identified himself as Maynard. And as I recall through reading and, and whatnot, Maynard is kind of an old uh, 16th century name, uh, possibly for one of, like, what was the name, Mephisopheles or Satan. or uh, Maynard was one of those names that was used evidently in... Okay, Tim, we're out of time. Uh, okay, well, I, I, which was strange that this guy, who had no knowledge of what we did called and told us to destroy what we just created or we would open portals and doors that we would not understand. And okay, well, it sounds as though it's a good thing uh, that you ended that when you did. And um, that sounds also like a... That sounds as though you fooled around with somebody, uh, somebody's instructions who had been playing with the craft. That story unwinded uh, kind of slowly for us there, but um, can you imagine hurting that many people? The craft is real, and um, I would urge those of you who are tempted to play with it, tempted to do the kind of thing that he apparently did with his friends, not to do it. You really do open doors and bring in things that you that could affect the rest of your life, could affect other lives. It's not a game. Don't do it. Uh, let's go to Wildcard Line 5 and Tim in Illinois. Hey, how you doing, Art? All right, sir. i about cemeteries for you. I mow marble gardens. Another cemetery story. Another cemetery. What? Oh, you're breaking up on me there. that? Tim? Tim? Hello? Hello? Yes. All right, I caught this figure out the corner of my eye one day. And I turned back real quick and looked at it, and it looked like it was like a short, fat Abraham Lincoln. Had the hat on his head and all that. Uh-huh. And uh, I looked at him for a second. I kind of looked down again, and I looked up at him. He turned, he looked at me, and he smiled. And it was like he met with me in my head. He, and he told me we were doing a good job, you know, and the place looked good. And he, like, turned, and he just started walking away, and he just faded. And then that was it. He was gone. I mean, it wasn't like a scary ghost story or not, but I really believe I seen a ghost that day. Well, sounds like you might have. Uh, not all ghosts are scary, and not all ghost stories are scary. Now, we try to get the scary ones for you on Halloween, but uh, look, I believe in life after death. I'll, I'll just sort of lay that on the table for you. I believe in life after death. I believe that it's real. And uh, so not all ghost stories are going to be scary. Not all deaths are scary. Uh, many are, and I think that's where the majority of the ghost, so-called ghost stories, the scary ones, actually come from. If you listen very carefully, I think you'll find that whether it's people messing with the craft or particularly like that young fellow who had uh, been messing with the others, 
uh, it could turn out very poorly. But it doesn't mean that all ghost stories are bad. Many are just attempts to communicate. Many are attempts to let the person on the other side know you're okay. But all of them, if you add it up like a, a, a great column of math, they all add up to the same thing. Bottom line, there is life after death. East of the Rockies, you're on the air, Mike, from Iowa. Art, it's good to hear yes. your voice. Thank you. Um, on Ghost Ghost, uh, um, I had an encounter with a couple of strangers back when I was a teenager and uh, delivering uh, the Des Moines Register. And there's, uh, at the time, uh, there was a, a new addition to the town, probably about five years old or so, all this string of uh, houses uh, southeast of town. And uh, I always delivered the paper at 3.30 in the morning before school, and it was always pitch black. And took my bicycle up to uh, the southeast uh, house of the town, and uh, I never cut through people's lawns, so I went up their, their gravel driveway and turned right and paralleled the front of their house on their sidewalk, walked up the three steps and put the paper in their screen door, turned around and walked down the three steps, and then turned right to walk the sidewalk to the, uh, their driveway. And I looked up, and right where I walked over, um, was this old man uh, wearing a wide-brimmed hat, and a flannel shirt, and baggy pants and boots, and he had absolutely no color to him, and, and I could see right through him. <laughs> and I just, well, people always say fight or flight. Well, I really disagree with that. I think there's a tertiary called frozen. <laughs> and that's what you were, frozen. For about 10 seconds, I was just frozen. And no, I, I think that's also a natural reaction. Um, uh, for example, if you're near a wild animal, a lot of times frozen is the best thing you can be. Running is the worst thing you can do. Uh, so frozen is, is perhaps okay and is perhaps a natural reaction. Uh, it, it, it shows a non-threatening uh, stance. Well, it is a reaction of no action. That's right. It's not doing the fight or the flight. Right. So you froze. And the only, I thought of a plethora of things, but uh, what predominantly went through my mind is I just walked over that spot mm -hmm. 15 seconds ago. So I decided I, I would talk to him. And I asked him his name. Uh, oh, he was, uh, what he was doing is he was uh, pumping water from an outside water pump. Mm -hmm. And he had the bucket on that nook on the, on the spout. And he was filling the bucket with water, but it never overflowed. And I, I asked him, well, first thing I said was, well, I'm, I'm sorry I, I walked over where you are now and I asked him his name and I apologized and uh, after about 15-20 minutes I, I ran out of things to say and uh, my brother and I my 
younger brother and I, uh, back then, we late uh, weekend nights, we would watch Creature Feature and then the scarier Acre Creature Feature, which was the siding company or roofing company, I forget which. And uh, I, I learned that if you ran, the monster would catch you from behind. It always <laughs> happens. Yeah, that's, that's the way it works all right. I, I, I never recall someone that didn't run that got caught from behind by the monster. Yeah, I think freezing and uh, perhaps even getting into the conversation was the wiser of the moves you made. I think that, that kind of goes back to an animal instinct in some of us. When we're presented with something like that, we just freeze. Maybe that's not such a bad move. Ghost to Ghost AM 2006. You've got a story for us. Those are the numbers. An additional way to get in, perhaps, is to include your, uh, uh, I don't know, a sentence about your story and your your telephone number, including area code, and we'll get to you. So it can happen that way, or you can pick up one of the lines. All of this continues in a moment. Time is short, so very quickly to Clint in Calgary. You're on Ghost to Ghost AM. Hi. Hi, how you doing? Just fine. Fantastic. Okay, well, uh, to start my story, before I um, before this happened to me, I actually didn't believe in ghosts. Like uh, Edgar Allan Poe said, um, uh, I don't believe in ghosts, but I've been scared of them my whole life. So that's kind of my attitude. Um, I moved into this apartment with my friend Calvin when I was about 20 years old. And every night when I would lay in bed, I'd have my back to the room, I would feel like um, I would hear something, like maybe a breath, or I would hear like the clicking of an ankle, you know, or a knee when somebody's walking. Mm-hmm. And every time I heard that as I was falling off to sleep, I'd kind of look over my shoulder and there's nothing there. So I'd kind of smile and go to sleep. And that would happen like every night when I was going to bed. And one night um, I was laying on my back and I had this weird feeling like somebody was looking at me. So I opened my eyes. And there was somebody leaning over my bed, looking at me about two inches from my face. And when I opened my eyes, I went, I made a whoa, like a noise like that. And this, what entity or whatever it was, it jumped back too, like it was scared. And it ran behind my little bookshelf in my bedroom. At the time, though, I wasn't really, it was kind of dark in my room, so I thought I had an intruder in my bedroom. So I went behind the bookshelf, you know, with my lamp in my hand ready to clog whoever it was. I turned my light on, and there was nobody back there. And there's no way to come out from behind the bookshelf. There's no windows or doors or anything like that. So I told my friend Calvin, you know, the next day what had happened, and he said, if you're having a problem with something in your room, maybe just write a note and saying, I don't know who you are or what you want, but if I can help you, please let me know how. But if I can't help you, please leave me alone. So I did that. I wrote the note out on the desk, and after that, I never had any troubles. I never had any clicking or breathing or breaths or anybody looking at me in my bed. So I just thought I could Fascinating. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting about that is that you, and this, I've had so many stories like this, that we apparently startle them many times as much as they startle us. Not always, but, but so many times in these stories, the entity or the spirit or whatever it is, when it realizes it can be seen, 
appears to be as startled as we are, and I'm trying to put together in my head what that means. First time caller line, uh, Chris in Nebraska. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I wanted to share with you guys a story that uh, kind of spooked the bejesus out of me, but at the same time was kind of a, a relief. I uh, used to be an over-the-road trucker, and I was cruising down I-40 in New Mexico when the uh, I uh, got flagged over on the CB from another trucker that there had been a rollover accident. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, all the passengers in the vehicle had been ejected. And uh, took a long time to get any kind of state patrol or flight for life medics or anything out there. But uh, there was a young girl that had gone into shock. And I wrapped her up in a blanket and was holding her. And uh, about an hour and 15 minutes later, they finally got there and got the the major triage taken care of and my god that is a long time it it was it was a rough go but uh when they finally came up and and to take the girl from me they uh had told me that she'd expired she she'd passed on and uh, i I never knew it and uh so i was kind of a devastating thing for me i avoided that uh, i-40 interstate Ran many miles out of my way just to stay out of there for a long time. Got in a hurry one night coming out of California and uh, decided I'd had to run I-40. And uh, just as I passed the mile marker where that accident had happened, my little dog that had been running with me forever, never messed in the truck before, uh, relieved himself in my passenger seat and went yipping and screaming into the back of the sleeper. And uh, I looked into the back of the sleeper to see what was wrong with him, and he was down there cowered under the under my bunk. And as I looked back to the road, I noticed that there was a young girl sitting in the passenger seat of my truck. That would be my last trip on I-40. I scared the bejesus. I almost wrecked my truck. But she was, uh, you know, very, I mean, ghostly, I guess. Uh, I could kind of see through her. I could see my door on the other side through her. And uh, she just looked at me, and she smiled. And in a very, very soft voice, she said, Thank you, and uh, I'm okay. And she was gone. Oh, that's an awesome story. I I pulled over and walked around my truck for a long, long time before I got back in it. But, uh, you know, it's... Like I said, the most terrifying experience of my life and probably the most satisfying, you know, is just something inner, in, inside that it really settled. But uh, I hear you. Chris, uh, thank you very, very much for the story. That is, uh, actually, that's kind of a heartwarming story. Not all ghost stories are scary. Although I suppose, no matter what, they're scary at the time. But in reflection, obviously, he had done something um, that she very much appreciated and she somehow made it back to say so. That was uh, quite something. Wildcard line, Sandra in Canada, you're on the air. Uh, yes. Um, my boyfriend and I were asked by friends of ours who own a fly-in fishing lodge. Now, this is about 600, 700 miles north of Manitoba, like in Manitoba from Winnipeg, just outside the Manitoba border in Ontario. Um, I won't name the lodge. Um, there's a half a dozen, um, like, their log cabin style with bunks, like, for the lodging, for the people that come. 
mm-hmm. you stay there, they fish. There's three people, just the fishing guide, an Aboriginal man, and myself, and my boyfriend. His job was to do maintenance, um, you know, take care of the boat um, motors and, you know, gas the boats and oil them and make sure they're running properly and maintenance around the place. My sure. job was to take care of the um, cleaning of the cabins and the making of the beds and the cooking. And anyway, the Keebler people were there. So that was the group. They were from the States, and they had come to fish. So the guide's job is to take them to the best fishing spots, and they catch fish, and they get all drunk and everything and tell all their stories about all these big fish they caught, meanwhile he caught them all. But anyway, um, where we stayed, when all of the, the lodgings were filled, was the cabin. There was like a log cabin not too far from the lodgings, like maybe three-quarters of a mile. And this is right out in the bush. It's all just bush, wild, wild bush. And anyway, it was August. It was really, really hot. And inside the cabin where we stayed in, there's a big wooden door on the inside, but it was so hot. There's an outside door, which is just a swinging um, door with a big screen in it. And the hook was on the door. And outside, just above the door, is, uh, is like a lamplight just so that you can see to go to the outhouse to go to the bathroom. Sure. Okay. So I woke up wanting to go to the toilet, to go to the outhouse, and I couldn't get up. Like, I tried to get up off the bed, and I couldn't get up off the bed. I felt myself being pushed back down into sitting position, and I thought, oh, I was just sleepy and still out of it, and I tried again, and the same thing happened. So I'm sitting there, I can move every other part of my body, my feet, my arms, my head, everything, but I cannot get up off the bed. And I looked ahead toward the screen door thinking, well, this is weird. I can't get up. I can't go to the outhouse. And as I'm looking toward the screen door, this man an old man, not an elderly man, but an old man, comes right, walks right through the door. Doesn't open the door, walks right through the door. Not an apparition, a full-body person. Turned on the kitchen light. There's an old kettle, you know, those old ones with the wire handle and a wooden, uh, a wooden handle with the wire, yes. you know, with the pointy uh, spout. Yes. It's like aluminum and a gas stove. So he goes over, he pumped, there's a water pump, he dumped out the kettle, he pumped water into a container that sat beside with a spout so you could pour that into the kettle, into the top of the kettle. He took off the lid, poured the water into the kettle, turned on the gas, and he sat down at the kitchen Chair, on the kitchen chair by the table, waiting for the water to boil. He got up, he opened the cupboard door, and he took out, there's only one teacup in there with a saucer. Everything else was mugs. Okay, not a lot of time, Sarah. Out, he pulls it out, he puts it on the kitchen counter, he takes down the sugar bowl, he opens the drawer, takes out a spoon, 
He puts the sugar in the cup. He takes the tea bag from the box. He puts it in the cup, and he brings it, and he sits it on the table. Then he goes and he gets the kettle, and he puts the water in the cup, puts the kettle back on the stove, sits back down, and he takes the spoon, and he's squeezing the tea bag. I'm sitting watching everything he's doing. And I was really feeling scared because I could move every other part of my body, but I could not get up. I, mm-hmm. I felt pressure to sit where I was sitting. And I just got up the gumption to say, who are you and what are you doing in our cabin? Because I thought it was one of these maybe Keebler uh-huh. people, but it wasn't anybody I had recognized. So what did he say? And he says to me, you just sit there and be quiet. I want to have my tea in peace. I see. So I, like, am going, oh, my God, what if this guy, like, finishes his tea and starts to get, a, like, a lumberjack uh, T-shirt on? And you know those dark green pants that, like, engineers wear? Mm-hmm. Uh, he had clothes on like that, and I thought, what if he finishes his tea and starts taking off his clothes thinking he's going to get into bed and go to sleep? So I start pounding my boyfriend with the side of my fist all up and down his back as hard as I can, right? Just pounding him. And he won't wake up. He can't. He just won't wake up. Okay, Sandra, we got to get to the end of this story. We're out of time here. Well, anyway, so the man says to me, quit hitting him. Let him sleep. I just want to have my tea in peace. And I'm like, oh, my God. He finishes his tea. He gets up. He picks up the saucer. He walks to the counter. He puts the saucer on the counter. He walks to the screen door. And he turns around and he looks at me and he says, I'll leave the light on for you, and you can go and pee now. (laughs) And he walks through the screen door, just like the way he came in. So I figured the native guide might know something about some kind of, like, history of myths or anything from that area. And... I went up to him and I said, you know, like, you're going to think I'm nuts. And he goes, no, actually, I know what you're going to tell me. You saw the old man. And I said, then you know about this. He said, did he have his cup of tea? (laughs) I said, yeah. And I said, and the tea bags there, the saucer, the teacup, the spoon, everything in and i said if you were to have touched that kettle the water was hot like i know i saw what i saw and well i'm i'm sure you did sandra i'm gonna have to leave it there um my guesstimation would be that this man knew you and just what he did was he he froze you to the spot knowing otherwise what would become of him West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. 
Yes. Uh, Art? Yes. Yes, okay. I, I didn't hear the first part. Anyway, I have a good story. This happened just a couple weeks ago. Okay. I live in this uh, small apartment, one-bedroom apartment with my wife. And, uh, see, I'm a truck driver. I drive overnight, usually, and then I'm home the next day. And uh, this would happen to be a Saturday, and I was staying up. My wife went to bed because she had to be at work the next day. And uh, it's about 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting at the computer, and where I'm sitting, I can see the bedroom door. It's closed. My wife likes to sleep with the door closed. Well, as I'm browsing the Internet and looking at Coast to Coast Online, I, uh, out of the corner of my eye, this apparition appears right in front of my door, and I feel this chill run down my spine. The hair on my hand stands up, and uh, when I go to look, it just quickly disappears. I feel this strong intention from this, you know, like somebody's really peering at you, not just having a glance at you. Sure. You feel that, feel that energy. And uh, I thought, wow, okay. So what happened? So I go on browsing, go to bed, wake up the next morning, and my wife is a little agitated. I ask her what's wrong. She goes, last night around 2 o'clock, same time I witnessed this, uh, there was a being in my room. It was shaking my bed. It was scaring me. And she goes, we're sensitive, and I know that we've, you know, sensed beings before, but this one is the only one that has scared me before, you know. And uh, she was frozen. She was frozen to her bed, and she tried to scream out, but she couldn't scream. But she mentally screamed out to me, and, uh, and uh, she was just, you know, frightened. And, and I thought this was amazing because I saw that entity the night before, and here she is telling me what experience she had with that same entity, I, I assume, uh, the next day. Well, husbands and wives can frequently communicate with each other that way, not just husbands and wives, brothers, sisters, uh, relatives, people who know each other and are very close or able to communicate that way. Right. But it's pretty amazing, eh? It is amazing. Of course it is. A lot of uh, what we've heard tonight, what we've uh, talked about tonight is amazing. East of the Rockies, very quickly, you're on the air. Jim in Lakewood. Yes, hi. Uh, what happened was I rented a place. It was an older house, a downstairs house. And I remember when I closed the door when I was leaving, I could feel that like when you have a magnet, you get like a, that reverse polarity. It felt like something jerked the door that said, you know, like you, I couldn't close the door when I was leaving, when I closed the deal with the landlady. Well, right. it was like a warning. And uh, later on, what happened was I, I, uh, I, I had like an infection and a blood infection. And I was in the downstairs, and the guy that rented upstairs with this lady that he, she was like 98 pounds, and he was like 250, he beat her to death, and I listened to her die. Oh, my and God. And I saw her apparition in, in my bedroom, and she said, you know, don't come up to help me. And I thought, don't come up to help me. I thought I was, like, delirious because of the blood infection. Later yes. on, the cops came the next day after he had killed her, by kicking her so bad, he fractured her liver, dragged her across the floor. I, oh wit God. I witnessed all of that by listening to it. Well, they said that he had upside-down crosses and this and that. But you know what I got out of that? She gave me strength. Because you know what? I, right now, I am armed to say that uh, if, if it ever comes again, evil ever comes again, I'm ready for it. Gotcha. All right. Well, I guess the best offense or defense, that is to say, is a good offense. All right, everybody, that's it.
We're out of time. Ghost to Ghost AM 2006. I'm Art Bell. It has been my pleasure to be your host. You all have a good night. See you next year with another version.